So I'm kind of doing a, uh, I, I don't, I'm always awkward starting these without like a music or an intro, although I think I can do that now. Um, also, if I sound a little hoarse, I'm fighting a bug of some kind. It's not COVID. I, I took one of my uh, Joe Biden COVID tests and it came up negative. I don't know if any of you have used one of those yet. It looks like you're using an applicator to color your hair. Like you open it and there's this plastic thing and it's instructions and gloves and madness and everything. But uh, I, don't, I don't have Rona. I feel like I did when I had it. But um, so I'm, I'm going to be a little bit hoarse. I'm probably going to go an hour, maybe a little bit over today. Um, as I as I noted, if you haven't had a chance to listen, I was going to kind of do a live reaction to my podcast, um, which is kind of on. We're seeing this ramped up moral panic today over Rogan, Spotify, Neil Young, this whole thing. Neil Young looks to have kind of the uh, implicit backing of corporate press, corporate media. That I'll, I'll dive a little bit into some comments made by. Oliver Darcy, Brian Stelter from CNN. Um, you're also seeing a push by some to get some of the younger artists on Spotify to jump into this. Taylor Swift is one. Billie Eilish, you're seeing tweets at them and reaching out for them. And you're seeing members of media retweet this stuff. Um, that doesn't necessarily imply that they agree, although I would argue it kind of does. Um and this all kind of folds into what we're seeing also with Whoopi Goldberg. The, the reactions to Rogan and Whoopi Goldberg um, are very instructive. You have two people who are entertainers with massive audiences, and the reaction to both of their recent statements, although I would argue Joe Rogan isn't just a controversial statement. Rogan's just they don't like his him on the platform. Um, the reaction to both of them has has been very instructive to uh, how people are digesting media and their, you know, in this media ecosystem and their diets. So this past weekend, um, you had both CNN media reporters, Brian Selton and Oliver Darcy, kind of stumble into some accidental points. Um, and I obviously I can't play like audio, so I kind of have to paraphrase. I did play the audio on my podcast. Um, so if you haven't listened to it, this will hopefully you can go back and clarify. Um, but they're looking at how why it's a problem that Rogan has the audience that he does, how he has millions of listeners. And they were talking about his apology and do they put him up to it? And both Darcy and Stelter note that, you know, Rogan is basically allowed to go on and say whatever he wants. And he's not under any journalistic standards. And, and he, they cite how CNN has fact-checking teams and news desks and stuff like this that can confirm accurate information. Except the problem is we know that uh, they don't pass along accurate information. Sometimes it's news and sometimes it's not, but even CNN goes through an ideological lens. Um, I read on my previous episode of my podcast, and this is one of these things that I, I said in my podcast earlier today that I am fish-shakingly angry that I didn't write or that I didn't uh, come around to because I think that this is the explanation, is that journalists in particular believe that social media exists to be used in a way that only they see fit. This explains a lot to do with trying to deplatform people like Alex Jones or just anybody in general uh, who pushes uh, information or, uh, or thoughts or theories that they don't agree with. And then, of course, they hide behind the idea that this is going to kill people. And as I've noted, it, it feels like we're in another moral panic. It feels like that this is you know no different than the PMRC, and several people have made that 
comparison, and I think it's accurate. Uh, I know Jim Treacher wrote about it on his Substack and a few others. I have a piece coming at Spectator that deals with this, about how the hippies have become the cops with the batons. Um, I'm not going to go too much. I, I really want what you guys think. I really want to hear a lot of voices on this, but I do want to read this Substack post. Um, it's from Connor Fitzgerald. I read this, I read parts of this on uh, my podcast, and I think that this is absolutely perfect. This The Substack post to me is porn, and it says, not every public conversation is journalism. Uh, it's written by a guy named Connor Fitzgerald. He's, uh, he's, uh, he, he's from Ireland. He says, Irish writer, Generation X, because of course he is. And uh, he, he, write, he writes, Joe Rogan in the ambiguous categories of harm and misinformation. And harm and misinformation are both in quotes. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's, it's a short read. Actually, I'm going to read it. Fuck it. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, because I think this is, I think he, he sums it up. And I hadn't figured out a way to wrap my own head around it. And I think he's absolutely right about this. That, again, media and journalism believe that social media and Facebook and Twitter and call-in or whatever it is should all be Patreon should be used only how they see fit and only how they use it through their lens of journalism. And I think that this is dead on. So I'm just going to read this and then probably I'll just open it up and see what you guys, I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on this stuff. Um, so, so diving into this, it says, because it happens on propriet proprietary platforms frequented by media people, much public conversation is treated as though it is appearing in the legacy media. That is, it is fact-checked, edited, policed, and critiqued against the standards of journalism, though, of course, only where it offends the values of journalists. But not every conversation that takes place in public is journalism, especially since the standards of journalism is currently practiced are more connected to the social status of individual journalists than to the pursuit of truth. I wish I could tattoo this on my throat and then backwards so I could read it in the mirror every morning. Uh, if all of our conversations are going to take place on social media, there will have to be space to allow people to speak in a normal human manner, to speculate and sometimes talk out of their ass. Even if those conversations are popular and influential. With that in mind, let's talk about Joe Rogan, the Lord Haha of COVID. Neil Young told Spotify to take his music down because he didn't like being on the same platform as Rogan. Spotify did as he requested. Joni Mitchell has now done the same, citing solidarity with Young in a stand against vaccine misinformation. During the last week, the head of the World Health Organization praised Young and condemned Rogan for his part in the infodemic. And the American Surgeon General, the highest public health official in the U.S., invited Rogan's deplatforming, saying that big tech has a role to play in limiting disinformation. Uh, me jump, I'm going to jump in here for a second. Today, Jen Psaki was finally asked about this. And she, uh, I don't have her exact quote in front of it, but she said she's encouraged by the steps that Spotify has taken. Uh, they basically put a parental advisory sticker on Rogan's podcast and said, but she believes they need to do more to elevate accurate information and limit misinformation. That's right, paragon of accurate information, Jen Psaki. Uh, jumping back into this, the first clue that this is about something other than disinformation is none of the statements above actually specify what Rogan said that warrants this backlash. Isn't that weird? The failure is indicative of people who are more interested in how things appear and how they publicly position themselves than they are in the actual details. Rogan has said plenty of dumb shit that can be characterized as disinformation, but then there's plenty of that that's been written and said about him that can be characterized in that way as well. It's not clear why Rogan's com uh, comment that a healthy 21-year-old might not want to get vaccinated 
or his platforming of Robert Malone constitute disinformation, which simply cannot stand. But that repeatedly and intentionally mischaracterization a drug with a long history of use by humans is only fit for animals doesn't. He's obviously referring to ivermectin. The podcast clip that people often point to as evidence that Rogan is both uninformed and dangerous is where he has noted that he understood the vaccine was causing cases of myocarditis. His guest pointed out that the risk of myocarditis itself is far greater for people who get COVID. Rogan disputed this. There was a back and forth on air, which led to Rogan fact-checking it live. The guest was right, and Rogan was forced to admit that. It seems strange to count that his point against Rogan since it helped establish on air that he was wrong, and it means that there's 100% more live fact-checking and correcting of the host's opinions on the Joe Rogan podcast than in any of the main, mainstream sources and critiquing him. The issue is this talk causes real harm. Yeah, but you say that a lot, don't you? Talking about policing in the wrong way causes real harm and can't be tolerated. Talking about gender in the wrong way causes real harm and can't be tolerated. Talking about genetics, poverty, freedom of speech, etc., the concept of harm has been intentionally inflated as a tactic to gradually exclude everything that journalists or journalist-type people don't like from public conversation. This kind of talk is dangerous. It can't be allowed. Isn't a big isn't a big red button that a journalist only presses in the most dire circumstances. Their finger is never off the button. Consider different types of harm. Michael Brendan Doherty, who's uh, National uh, National Review, has written a good bit and well about the uses of masking in schools and amongst children in the United States based on his personal experience of his own child's needs. His view is that masks in schools are unhelpful. The science supporting the practice is ambiguous, and they cause harm to children that won't go away when the masks do. It's not necessary to believe he is correct, only that his views are reasonable, which they are. But no one who promotes the use of masks in school or dismisses arguments against masking school children will ever be accused of disinformation and deplatformed on that basis. Journalists as a group will never reach for the big red button because they like restrictions and will support and amplify anyone who calls for more of them. I'm not willing to hear I, I'm not I am not willing to hear claims of harm that are only applied in a single ideological direction and that assume no agency on the part of the person being harmed. I am not interested in claims of mis- or disinformation because I know that it just means a piece of information that a journalist is uncomfortable with, which may or may not be a lie. He says, I don't like social climbers or activists, and everyone who is considered a legitimate media figure is really just an amalgam of both of those things. I refuse to live in a world where my conversation is policed by them and calibrated exactly to reflect their class prejudices and neurosis just because it happens to take place on social media. If I want to wonder aloud whether something they think is false is true or something they think is bad is good, then I'm going to do that. And anyone else who does that uh, will have mu as much support as I can give them without being by, uh, being ruined. Yes, even Joe Rogan. As I said, this is a, uh, a post uh, called The Fit Stack. It's by a writer named Connor Fitzgerald. Um, I would I would wholeheartedly encourage you to read this if you didn't like my cadence or anything on it. Um, he hits a lot of important things here. And that's one is, again, how everything is, is viewed through their lens. Uh, Joe Rogan's not a journalist. He never pretends to be a journalist. He has uh, these kind of conversations. And this is something that Oliver Darcy alludes to. And we saw this on Clubhouse where uh, Taylor Lorenz, I'm sorry, New Washington Post columnist Taylor Lorenz uh, took issue with unfettered conversations happening. And this is also from the New York Times happening on Clubhouse. Obviously, call-in is a, is, a, is a format not on my Clubhouse. And so 
you have these people who are just they they cannot abide by things like this happening where you have someone like me and then there's all of I'm looking at 69 of you nice and people just having a, a casual back and forth and this isn't going to be live fact check that's not kind of the format that's not what we're doing here but nowhere does Rogan claim to be a journalist and I noted on my podcast, I'm not the most avid Joe Rogan listener, but I thought what was funny is I, as I went and looked at Spotify and I went and looked at his podcasts and there are like seven or eight episodes in between the Robert Malone episode and the rest are comedians or the rest are actors or their personalities. And Oliver Darcy notes that this is harmful because these are people that aren't usually on any other platforms. And the last point I want to make is uh, – taking the award for least self-aware person in maybe all of media today was Brian Stelter wondering why uh, Joe Rogan has millions of listeners and yet uh, CNN can barely draw in 500,000 people a night. And Stelter said that this is the problem. And of course that this is, this is a guy who will, will fail to ask. Uh, we're all trying to find the guy who did this. And as I state, these are people who had their time. They had their chance and with the invent of social media where anybody can have a voice, some get louder than others and some elbow their way through and stuff like that, um, that this cannot be tolerated. And this is about control and it is about censorship. Um, I played today John Denver's speech uh, from the PMRC uh, and, and it rings true that this is about censorship. It's not about anything else. It's not about safety. It's not about misinformation. This is about getting rid of opinions we don't like uh we saw it with rogan you're seeing it with either shapiro at georgetown law right now i know that's kind of a niche issue some of you not, might not be familiar with and to prove this i would invite you to look at the reactions for wanting to deplatform joe rogan as opposed to whoopi goldberg dabbling in holocaust denial which is basically what she did saying that you know, the Holocaust was about just two groups of white people, Jews and Germans fighting. That's that's Jewish erasure. That's all it is. Um, so it certainly is Holocaust erasure. And of course, she said this, then she released the same and then she went on Colbert and she went full Leroy Jenkins. Um, and so, you know, guys like me who kind of do this for a living, you don't have to take my word for it. I would invite you to just look at the different reactions Look at the outrage. Was there a single Democrat or media personality yesterday that called out Whoopi Goldberg? Just one. I didn't see. I didn't see them. Was it Jake Tapper? Who was it? Um, and, and this is exactly the point of where you would say someone to Brian Stelter, who's out here wondering why Rogan has millions of listeners. Well, first off, he doesn't have a show titled Reliable Sources, and then has guests on like Dan Rather. That would be a good place to start with Brian and that network. Um, so those are kind of my opening thoughts. Again, I would, I would encourage you to go back and read Conor Fitzgerald's Substack post because I haven't read a better description of this. And like I said, I'm fish-shakingly angry. I didn't think of this or even the light bulb go off. Um, but I think it really is the most sentient point anyone has made about this. Um, it's funny to watch them pillory someone like Joe Rogan, who's a, he's a talk show host. He's, he's a guy with a talk show. He's, he's really no different than, say, someone like Jimmy Kimmel. Um, it's just a completely different format and point of view. And these are the people who elevated and lifted up Jon Stewart and The Daily Show and Stephen Colbert. I, I, was, I was absolutely taken back at this Whoopi Goldberg discussion last night on Colbert's show 
where you have a, a woman kind of doubling down on, on her weird thing about how the Holocaust wasn't about eliminating the Jewish race, talking to a guy who has a primetime late night comedy show, excuse me, because he became famous for portraying a fake news personality and pushing uh, edited clips of subjects he would interview. And I'm just sitting here like agape at this stuff. And then I'm wondering, but Joe Rogan is the problem. You think I'm supposed to care that Joe Rogan is on his podcast talking about ivermectin or interviewing vaccine skeptics or what have you? The last thing I'll note, and then we'll just open this up to anybody, is uh, Rogan's apology video, which I thought was a little weird. Um, I thought he was more forgiving than I certainly would have been over this stuff. But I guess that's kind of what people like about him is he notes a couple of facts. If six, seven months ago you said on your Twitter account that cloth masks don't work, you'd be banned. And now that is a common talking point by someone like Dr. Lena Wen on CNN. Um, If you were on Twitter six months ago talking about the fact that that any of the vaccines uh, don't prevent transmission or infection, you would be banned. Um, Full discretion, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted. And as I've said on my podcast, uh, I, I just don't care about COVID anymore because of that. I just, I'm, I'm almost completely disinterested in any of the debate. I, I don't care if you're vaccinated. I don't care if you're anti-vax or not, whatever. Uh, I just, I don't even think about it anymore. And kind of to quote Barry Weiss, we were told that if you do this, if you go out and do this, we're all going to get back to normal. And here we are, uh, two and a half years in, the virus isn't shut down, and we are very much far from getting back to normal. Um, that's kind of all my opening thoughts on this. Uh, if you, if you're unfamiliar with the app or whatever, uh, if you, if you like to speak, just jump up there, um, start the queue and I'll just start taking people. Um, we're going to have some unfettered conversations, uh, about Joe Rogan or about anything else that you like. So I'm just going to jump in here. Chad, you're up. Let me do this. I'm starting to actually get the hang of this without the fear of hanging up on someone. Uh, hello. Yep, hello. Good. Okay, go. Uh, so it's a little off topic, but it's something that I've kind of been thinking about in terms of uh, Biden's approval ratings. So infrastructure, really nobody cared about. And Breyer, eh, I, I guess I'll get parts of the base for Biden a little amped up and everything. But I was kind of thinking he hasn't really done anything substantially progressive. Uh, I'm thinking more kind of like the Bernie bro types. Uh and the reason why they showed up to vote for Biden. And I've kind of been thinking about the student debt issue where they haven't paid anything since early 2020. And I know politicians break campaign promises all the time, but this is kind of a particular campaign promise that's broken, which will immediately affect his base, where they're going to be paying a good amount of money every month now on top of inflation, bad gas prices, and kind of a terrible economy like uh, CNBC said half of college grads in 2020 don't have full-time jobs right now. So I'm wondering, what do you think that would do to Biden's approval ratings if he would resume the debt payments? And is there any chance, do you think he would wipe out the debt, uh, which uh, Schumer and Warren claim he has the authority to do? Um, it's a, The interesting thing about this to me is not whether or not he does it or doesn't do it. Um, to me, the student debt postponement is conspiratorially, I'll fully admit, if I'll put on my tin tinfoil hat for a second, it's the one issue where 
I sit here and I go, this is why they're prolonging this pandemic. This is why you keeping mask mandates. This is why you have Fauci out here repeating administration talking points. This is why um, this stuff is happening. Because if you recall, this was suspended. It's now been extended twice. And Biden's it's first said he wasn't going to do it uh, past January. And then I think he did again until March. I might be wrong on that. I think it was um, yeah, so conspiratorially, this is the one issue I go on purpose. And this this is always kind of the thing that comes in is are you extending are you extending the pandemic and, and at least the appearance of a pandemic um, where Biden is wandering around in a mask everywhere and, and despite he's vaccinated and there's mask mandates indoors still in some of these, you know, heavy blue blue cities and states. Um, why, why would they be doing it? If, if you want to put on kind of like your great reset hat kind of thing, which um, the great reset itself is not a conspiracy theory. There's, there, there are things around it that it could be considered it. But I look at the, I look at this issue and I go, this is the one where they keep extending the pandemic to kind of keep pushing off student loan repayments. And I, I think you're, uh, I think you're pretty dead on by saying if, if they don't, if they, if they keep putting this off and keep putting this off and keep putting this off, and then Biden finally says, no, we can't do this anymore because in order to do it and get away with it, we have to keep the appearance of a pandemic happening in this country. And the data just isn't showing that. And as we've seen in plenty of places in this country, uh, there just isn't a pandemic happening anymore. In fact, we just saw one in Los Angeles at the NFC Championship game where we have Gavin Newsom again uh, just walking around without the mask and sitting around without the mask and nobody in that stadium is masked. And I, and I noted uh, – on Twitter that it's going to be pretty incredible optics here in two weeks where you're going to have uh, the, the Super Bowl is going to be played in front of an international audience and there's going to be celebrities and politicians and everyone's going to be in attendance without masks. And meanwhile, right down the road, anyone who lives in LA County still has to send their fifth grader to school with a KN95 mask now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's one issue that I, I look at this and I conspiratorially say, yes, they're, they're, they're extending this stuff to use it politically and, and it's not about the science and it's not about medicine anymore. The student loan deferment is, is that issue. Uh, it absolutely will hurt them if, if they re if they restart those payments and it's not that they'll go and vote for someone else. It's just, they, they will stay home and it will depress the base. Yeah. It's interesting because his numbers with young college grads have been dropping off the past couple of weeks. And I think they're definitely getting the sense where he's not going to deliver in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, if he were to actually abolish student debt, I think that would just piss off tons of people, especially like independents too, who have already paid off their loans. Right. That's why, and that's why you don't make promises like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Biden, he's he's in a tough spot, and he always has been of, uh, you know, in governing that. And it's not just by it's it's any politician. If you try to govern to the extreme of your base who's a very large contingent, you're right, like that 20 to 25, that 18 to 25 vote is something that Democrats, you know, depend on. Um, then they're going to stay home. And if you don't cater to them, then you're going to get Bernie Sanders threatening a primary probably in before. And that's not something that they want either. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those issues that they're screwed in. I mean, he, they're just screwed in. And that's because, again, you can listen to the Warren wing. You can listen to those people there. You know, I'm 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 someone who I I ended up having to default on a student loan. Uh, I was paying one, still am, and then I I, I couldn't pay the second one, so I just kind of let it go. I was like, all right, 
so this isn't this isn't one of these issues that is kind of my hobby horse um and you know i am obviously pay your debts back pay your loans back i also understand that there's people out there who can't um what's never mentioned in this discussion is what universities are charging there was i think it was harvard um and i might be wrong on this one too but i'm pretty sure it was harvard where they showed that uh, when they all went to online learning, when they went to Zoom courses and they closed all of the campus, like tuition actually went up despite the fact that all of these services were being denied to students. And so nobody is willing to look at the university system and, and these exploding costs where we're, they're paying $250,000 a year for a, you know an equity and diversity counselor mm-hmm. and things like that. And that's a way to get student loans down. But of course, if you go after that, if you're the Democrats, you're going to lose a lot of lobbying money there as well. So again, it's, it's one of those issues that it, it's no win for him. And you know they, they kind of walked into that themselves. Yeah. So last point, then I'll uh, get out of here. But uh, so do you think they'll keep on postponing the debt payments till past the midterms, basically? I don't know. I I mean, my gut says yes. But in order, Mm -hmm. again, that depends. In order to do that, you have to keep up the appearance of a pandemic. That's going to lead to your party being wiped out. Um, So again, if if they say no, no more deferment, uh, we're lifting mandates, uh, they, they kind of run that risk of saying, okay, then why why are, are you still postponing student loan payments? Why are you still doing Well, people are still, you know, having a hard go of it. And this is the problem with Biden's economic argument, where we're seeing these charts and these graphs of the greatest economy ever, but we can't have people paying loans back. Um, this, mm-hmm. this is kind of the, the Obama administration did this, where they were touting economic success. But then if any, any Republican stepped forward to say, okay, that's great. We have 4% unemployment. Let's cut back on some of the like the SNAP benefits. Oh, sh- can't do that. People are mm-hmm. going to stop. People are out there struggling. People are out there, whatever. And you know, this was a, this was also a staple of Bernie Sanders' uh, 2016 campaign and his brief 2020 campaign, where he's out here tweeting and in his speeches talking how bad the economy is. In 20, it was hilarious. In 2016, he's out talking about how unemployment was over 11 percent. And you're like, who the fuck's been in charge of this economy for eight years? Yeah. And you could you could not get a single journalist covering Bernie Sanders to tweet that quote out. Um, those of you who remember it know that this was one of my sticking things during 2016. I would hit journalists over this all the time. He had an entire web page dedicated to it. Whereas like unemployment, black unemployment's historical highs and, and uh, unemployment's over 11%. And I'm kind of like, why who's been in charge for the last eight years you know and Mm -hmm. they could they wouldn't report that because that would make obama look bad and so uh do they keep deferring it through the midterms at this point probably i think also because it's just not something that's being talked about biden (laughs) could probably keep deferring it quietly and it it would get one blip fox news would probably scream about it um but it would get like one blip on msnbc and he could just do it quietly so i honestly don't know um, if if you, if I had to flip a coin, I'd probably. Okay, cool. Oh, well, thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it, and uh, long live uh, mashed potatoes. <laughs> I don't hate mashed potatoes. I just don't like cooking them. God sakes! I don't know how many times do I need to say this? I have this thing. For those of you who don't know, uh, I leave mashed potatoes off of my Thanksgiving menu because I just fucking hate making them. Uh, and I just I buy the preheated kind, and I go all out on Thanksgiving. I I start cooking like two days before. Um, 
and I'm getting shit because like, for some reason I, I, I hate mashed potatoes and I don't, there's just the effort's not worth it. Joe, what's going on? Hey, Steven, appreciate it as always. Um, so I have uh, two quick points um, uh, to get across that I'd like your thoughts on. So my first is about Rogan. Um, the reason why he resonates with so many people, I think that doesn't really get discussed as much, or it may, but I might not just be privy to it, is just that he doesn't really have an ideological core. And if he does, it's a bowl of contradictions. I mean, he had Bernie Sanders on his show back in 2020, and he basically said that Bernie was his guy. But then, for example, at a later show, he would have Dan Crenshaw on, and he would they would have a really nice, productive conversation. And I think that that whole approach has what is what has endeared him to so many people. It isn't it isn't at the same level that some on the right, I think, have occasionally a misplaced sense of love for, for example, Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, or Zed Jelani even, where it's like, these guys are not necessarily your ideological allies. Like, I mean, Glenn Greenwald's a socialist, I'm pretty sure. But the important thing is, is that, A, they don't treat people on the right or people who might ideologically disagree with them as human scum. And they are also at least willing to point out the excesses of the, I mean, it's the old trope, but the it's not an, a liberal left anymore. It's a progressive kind of Stasi left, as it has taken on with free speech. Right, like an illiberal. I, I think that that's the best word for it, the illiberal left. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that, so that, that, that was my first my first point about Rogan as to why um, I don't I don't think that I don't think people in the media truly would would be willing to investigate that or appreciate for that's why he has such a humongous appeal for what he is because i mean any one of his interviews is just basically like hey you appear to be a smart person i very likely might be full of shit let's talk through for three hours and also have you ever tried mdma um right <laughs> yeah um and my, my my other point um i wanted to get want to get your thoughts on um is uh, regarding um, Steve Hayes' new BFFs over at, um, over at NBC, um, I have basically maintained that ever since the dispatch was started, that this culmination of events has basically been inevitable. And to paraphrase, I believe it was Michael Malice, the dispatch has always been the bulwark driving the speed limit. It was always going to end up here. Basically, when David, Jonah, and Steve Hayes left National Review, it became apparent pretty quickly, A, not only was the bulwark in existence and had that lane entirely occupied of just anti-Trump and never Trump, etc., the dispatch's whole approach, I think, in, in many people hoping, incorrectly, I believe, that oh, well, they're not going to go to the extent that the bulwark would in just, you know, full-on salivating, not just never Trump, but also never Republican. But the thing is, though, is that while they never did reach that level of just absolute comedy, it was eventually going to culminate in what we saw a couple of weeks ago with him and Jonah leaving Fox News over something that they basically 
said that they disagreed with, with Tucker Carlson about and that it led them to box themselves into this corner here with NBC. Um, I just do feel that this was always inevitable, again, because I maintain that they're basically just driving the same speed limit as the bulwark. There are plenty of outlets on the, the right that have anti-Trump or um, you know, anti-populist GOP elements within them. But as soon as they basically started to chart their own course, their own identities, um, you know, Hayes, Goldberg, and, um, and French, um, I don't think was enough for them to really maintain their own, their own brand with the dispatch if it was always just going to be bulwark light. So I think that, the, that this was just, again, just basically an inevitability. And I, I do kind of share your, the fact that people on the right should not really have a white hot rage with anything that, that David does say anymore. I mean, my whole, my whole approach with any of them is I just think they should be ignored. I mean, David French has just essentially just become a meme. I mean, you know, you could basically put in the the conservative case for critical race theory, basically, or any other joke that you'd like to insert there. And also, you know, why rooting for the Bengals in the Super Bowl makes you a bad Christian or whatever the, the next line that he's going to write. I mean, they basically become walking jokes of themselves. So my, my whole approach to them is just, it's not worth getting into a white hot rage over them. The best thing to do is to just ignore them because they've exposed themselves as just being, basically proving what I thought they were going to be the entire time. Right. Uh, a, a couple of thoughts on the first, the first thing you said about Rogan leads me, for, for anyone who wants to get up and talk, and if you've listened to Joe Rogan, tell, say why. Um, I think that that's an interesting thing. So if you if you're in line or whatever and you want to get up and speak, I, I'm not a frequent. I don't listen to him. I I don't do appointment listening for him. I te- I technically I kind of go guest by guest if I if I see it and if I have time. I'm, oh okay, but that's how I do most podcasts. Um, I don't really have like appointment listening, which is funny for a guy who, who has a podcast. And you should you should be listening to every single one of my episodes, by the way. Um, but if you're up and you have thoughts on Rogan, tell me why you listen to him. Is, is it persuasive? Like, did you, do you, did you get vaccinated and then you listen to Joe Rogan and you go, oh, shit, I got to get this out of my body or, or something? Uh, I'm just curious because that to me is the biggest pushback to what you hear from people in media, which is uh, he's killing people or it's misinformation that's going to get people killed. Um, I had a friend, uh, a pretty long-term friend on Facebook. Uh, who deleted me from Facebook. And um, I do have a Facebook. Uh, it's funny for someone who has a quarter, you know, a quarter million Twitter followers and a pretty decent podcast audience. I have 32 people on my personal Facebook. Um, <clears throat> I've just learned to kind of lock it down. And especially when you're in this industry and people want to use anything on you. But someone who I'd known for a good chunk of my life, uh, when I wrote in my piece about Fauci and his emails. And I said, you know, vaccine, we know that vaccine does not prevent transmission any longer. Uh, this person was a frontline medical worker and got me, you know, asking what was my source on this. And I sourced three, I sourced three places. I sourced CNN, the New York times and the CDC. And I got the response that my words are killing people. And I thought that that was pretty metal. Like if only that were the case, you know, if, if only I had that kind of superpower, that'd be pretty great. Um, and I, I just thought I was ridiculous on its face. And I just shook it. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm telling, I'm, I'm printing an, a, an abject fact here. 
And I don't really care if that's something that somebody reads that and goes, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated now. That's not my responsibility. That's that person's responsibility. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're up and you listen to Rogan, you want to comment on it, tell me why you listen to it, like what you get out of it. What's Is it entertaining? Is it information? Like, uh, So just do that. Uh, the second thing I'll weigh in on with Steve Hayes is – I don't really, I don't really have too many opinions on this stuff. Um, I've, I've been a professional colleague of David French. Um, I considered him a friendly professional colleague. That doesn't mean that I agree with him. It doesn't mean that I agree with everything he's saying. It doesn't mean I agree with ideological stances. Um, I, I just, I again, like Joe says, I don't understand the white hot rage he generates. I never have. This is going back to when I when I worked with him at National Review or or anything like that. I think it's kind of just funny. Because he's such a kind of mild mannered, tepid guy, um, I'm actually impressed at the, at the at the rage that gets generated at him for just what he says, and that's I don't agree with much that David writes. He's also really into, you know, furrowing his brow at the the evangelicals. And to be honest with you, I'm just not interested in what evangelical Christians are thinking or how they're voting or the writing about them. I'm just not. I'm not. An evangelical religious guy. That that's all it comes down to. Um, for people who think that you know I'm, I, I hit the dispatch over the head or I hit the bulwark over the head. Well, the dispatch to me should be held to the stand, their own standards. And anyone who knows me knows that I believe that about all media. I don't really care about like progressive websites. Uh, I read more progressive media than I do conservative media because I know what conservatives think and I agree with it. And that's not what I'm here for. These people and the people, if you're going to do these things, you have to be held to your own standards. And and that's all that matters to me. It doesn't matter if you are CNN or if you are the dispatch. And Steve Hayes and Jonah Goldberg made it a point to leave Fox News because they could no longer abide Tucker Carlson's content. That's fine. I don't care about that. That's great. Make the stand and leave. And then I said at the time, but don't pop up on CNN in three weeks. Don't pop up on Joy Reid's show. Um, because right there, you're you're going to lose me. And I think you're going to lose a lot of people. And I think that that's the case. And I make this point on Twitter. When Joy Reid starts spouting her bat shittery about the Nazi party and the Republicans are Nazis, and I just go, "Is it, this is acceptable, but Tucker Carlson's content isn't. And I, and I don't watch Tucker Carlson. I, sometimes he's on in the background. Sometimes I agree with him. A lot of the times I don't. It's just not my particular brand of entertainment or infotainment. Um that's all I genuinely care about is if you're going to hold the standards of c- continuously using a bat to hit your own team over the head, eventually people are going to tune you out. And I, I've always said this about the crew that was very disappointed in Donald Trump was um, they really need to examine how Trump happened. And Trump happened in several different ways. Okay. He tapped into a populist uh, thing on the right. That was one. I don't know how or why he did it or how it happened, but he did. Um, he was a media creation. Jeff Zucker, who's at NBC, gave Donald Trump millions of dollars to uh, resurrect his cultural relevance at The Apprentice for 10 years. He was the number one star on television while at NBC. And of course, that empowered him to become kind of a king shit poster on Twitter, ranting about Barack Obama's birth certificate. And of course, Obama and, and the left tried to make him a foil for that stuff, and they lost. Um, Obama was such a media savvy guy, and then he ran into a guy who was more media savvy than he was. Um, so Trump happened in a lot of ways. 
And there is a certain group of people on the right who absolutely refuse to acknowledge their role in how Donald Trump happened while being completely against him. And with with those guys in particular, um, the, the kind of, you know, look down your noses at people kind of conservatism, which does exist. Um, if you stop talking to voters and you start only talking to yourselves and talking to yourselves can mean uh, commentary pieces back and forth to each other. Here, here's why Solo Bamari is wrong. Here's why David French is wrong. And you keep doing that. Nobody gives a shit. It's interesting for you guys. I get that. You guys are you know measuring your brains and that's great. But if you're going to stop talking to people, and what I mean by people, I mean college campuses. I mean young people. Um, this is something why Ben Shapiro is so popular. He does this. It's also how Miley Yiannopoulos became popular. Because if you stop talking to them, you don't get to complain about who does, who fills that vacuum. So then someone like Miley Yiannopoulos comes around and all of a sudden he starts attracting an audience. And now you're sitting here going, how, how did we get here? This is unacceptable. We, we need to cast this off. Well, they got there because you stopped talking to audiences. And so that's, that's my only real comment on that stuff with dispatch or whatever. To me, Steve Hayes is being held to the standard that he created, which is Tucker Carlson is beyond the pale. I'm fine with that. But now you don't get to lecture us from a seat at MSNBC or NBC sitting across from Al Sharpton, Joy Reid, or Rachel Maddow. It's that simple. And I think that those guys probably have to answer for that after stating specifically that cable news is a problem and they're not going to be a part of that kind of, we're not going to occupy the anti-Fox seat at CNN or MSNBC. Well, it took, what, three weeks and that's what you guys went and did. So beyond that, I don't have anything much like personally to say whatever. Um, I, I, again, I still mystified it. Like I said, this white hot rage that these guys generate all of the time. I just, I don't understand it. I think that it's an issue and it's fine if you disagree with them and it's fine with stuff like that. But uh, for normal average run of the mill people, I just wonder why you are so dead set on making yourself angry that way. Um, so I don't know. Those are my only, those are my only thoughts on that. Uh, Yes. I believe anyone in media should be held to their own standard. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if you're on the right or if you're on the left or if you Thanks so much as always, Stephen. Appreciate it. Let's do... Andrew, you're up. Why do you listen to Joe Rogan, Andrew? Actually, I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I was more interested in another conversation about where this all started when it comes to media, not getting trust. And one of the things I always remember was my grandfather used to work in nuclear reactors, in particular in southern Illinois. He helped create these one of these, and in 1980, he got um, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes, and this is one of the, kind of one of the famous first time that 60 Minutes was ever caught actually lying about a story. If you actually go and look for it, and it's just like, what is the whole story of 60 Minutes and how it be- began the process of turning news into entertainment, and how the, so many of their stories have caused so many problems from everything from Ford and those stories about um, their, the brakes not working to Dungeons and Dragons to, again, stuff like the PLA and all these moral panics that 60 Minutes has often helped cause and not ever been really called out for. Uh, the, the, one, the thing that's interesting about the 60 Minutes is obviously for anyone who's seen the Insider, Michael Mann's film about uh, Jeffrey Wigan, who was the uh, tobacco insider that they spiked the interview because CBS was going through a sale at the time. There's more to it, but I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. Um, 
I mean, this is something where you can scream about media bias to the left or the right as much as you want, but you do have to be able to show tangible examples of it. Um, one going back in, in my lifetime was the Clinton impeachment, where Monica Lewinsky was just savage and bullied and smeared gleefully by people in mainstream media and, and networks and places like Newsweek who spiked the story and it made Matt Drudge a household name. Um, that's what's interesting to me about like the treatment of Monica Lewinsky today, which is she's kind of a yes queen girl boss on the left. And she, she kind of willfully accepts that. And it's weird that she would do that. I'm, I, when I see her like in Twitter and stuff, we're making jokes and the media all just praises her. I'm just like, what the, like, what the fuck, man? Like, these are people that absolutely like ruined your life all because they needed to keep Bill Clinton in office. Um, that was one. Um, it's, you talked about, you know, the, the Ford Brake story uh, or GMC or whomever it was with Jane Pauley. That's another one. Um, if you go back to what happened in the 2008 election, which is uh, our media collectively decided to go off their meds and say, we're, we're not going to, John McCain is not going to be president. Any story of Barack Obama's history, his, his associations, Tony Resco, Chicago, William Ayers, any of that stuff is going to be off limits, deemed racist. And it's a natural evolution of how we ended up here. And then at Hunter Biden's laptop story, um, if you were awake and if you had a pulse during those times, um, obviously Dan Rather in a 2004 election um, with George W. Bush and the National Air Service Guard, that stuff, that's stuff that has all eroded trust in media and it's all gone one direction. And the funniest thing about where we are now is Fox News was essentially created as a catalyst against all of that. You know, Charles Krauthammer said, you know, Fox News was a, a media outlet that was created to cater to that small niche of 50% of the country. And if you look at the hysterics over Fox News today, um, they still don't get it. It's basically Fox News versus CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, um, any CNN spittiers, anything like that. And they still don't get it. And we're at a point now where instead of persuading viewers or offering interesting perspectives or interesting programs, you remember CNN had Crossfire, which I would argue is a horrible show and led to a lot of where we are now. Um, you, you would have someone like Larry King on CNN, which you could argue is similar to Joe Rogan, where Larry King would just have different guests on. It's just a different, it's a different format now and it's a different ideological bent now. Um, the thing I said that the smartest thing CNN could do is give Ben Shapiro a primetime show. And people scoff and laugh at that. And I said, the reason why Fox kicks your ass is because you guys are fighting for 50% of the country. You have seven, nine outlets all fighting for the same audience. And it, this kind of goes to this cottage industry now of you see Daily Beast reporters, Media Matters reporters, CNN reporters who daily on a daily nightly basis just tweet about what's happening on Fox News. Like, we already know what's happening on Fox News because half the country watches it. You don't need to tell us. And it's kind of like they've turned into that, you know, Facebook mob. Yeah, I just saw on Fox that, you know, somebody said something. To, to, to. And it's kind of like, that's great. You just tune that shit out. Well, Fox News only caters, you know, is only taking one chunk of the audience. So if you wanted to defeat Fox, trying to get them to dump their sponsors isn't going to work. If you want to defeat Fox, you have to divide their audience. And the way to do that is to, again, if, you, if MSNBC wants their ratings to go, you give someone like Ben Shapiro a talk show. 
Um, I'm not endorsing the people. Or you give CNN gives Candace Owens a show. Not not my cup of tea. I don't, I don't pay attention to Candace Owens, but I'm saying you know what you do. Um, is media trust. I think for a lot of people who they were willing to accept, you know, Dan Rather, they were willing to accept the bias of Obama, and they're willing to accept this stuff. And then we also saw in in what was it, the 2009 election, really the first time our media went on offense against a normal American, which today is just, it's, it's like what's done. If you put a funny video on Facebook about Nancy Pelosi, the daily beast is up your ass and trying to get you fired. Even if you're an African-American ex-con trying to turn his life around, they don't care. Um, but this was the first time when Joe, the plumber walked up to Obama and was, was asking him questions. And then within a day, they are digging through his garbage, trying to discredit a normal guy who just was trying to ask a presidential candidate a question. Um, that was really the first incident in my life where you see where we're at now, this long line of cancel culture, whatever you want to call it. And then you, we saw in 2012, Candy Crowley stepped over the line. Finally, we, you know, all, those of us who've been screaming about press bias during debates and horrible debate moderators, Candy Crowley steps over the line and like does the live time, live, lifetime fact check. And she's wrong on it, of course. And that was another moment where people like me just went, you know what, fuck this. Like these, when, you know, when Trump, you know, does his clumsy enemy of the people shit, whatever, he's really just putting bluntly expressing what a lot of people just have seen over their lives. Um, I don't like the enemy of the people label. There's times when I just say, if you guys don't want this label, perhaps stop acting like it or giving him a reason to do this. Um, and then, of course, this all culminated in what we saw in this past election with uh, blocking the Hunter Biden laptop story and labeling it misinformation. And this is where Joe Rogan's power comes from when, you know, they put their finger on the scale and it doesn't matter if it was a Rudy Giuliani rat fuck operation. All that matters is, is the story true? Yes or no? Well, it was true. And Facebook blocked it. Twitter blocked it. That they stepped over that line. So each one of these instances is not really being done by Fox. It's not really being done by us on the right. We don't really have a lot of power in media. Um, what we're seeing is constantly over the last 10 to 12, 15 years, we saw Dan Rather try to put his thumb on a presidential election. Then we saw, obviously, uh, the media step in on, uh, as well as Obama um, and try to go after just normal people who opposed him or just were asking questions of him. And then in 2012, we saw the media step in and put their thumb on the finger of a debate. And now in the online age, um, we saw them in 2016 give Donald Trump $5 billion and then somehow blame us for it. Like, you guys elevated this guy because it was real fucking funny to you. Like, they put him on Saturday Night Live. Morning Joe gave him 41 interviews, 10 of which were call-ins. So they change the rules and then somehow blame us when he wins. Then again, we saw last election, they stepped, they stepped over the line and they put their thumb on the scale by, by intervening in social media. And so each time you can point to these instances and say, this is what you're doing. And now when you try to label Joe Rogan as misinformation on vaccine information, and like I said, on two, on two big ones that have now been switched, which is cloth masks, don't do shit, and the vaccine, it offers you a ton of protection, but it doesn't stop transmission and doesn't stop infection. And 
you guys keep screaming misinformation, misinformation, misinformation. And people are just like, I can point to 20 years history of you guys where you haven't apologized. You haven't attempted to course correct. You've just doubled down on it. Um, and so that's where we're at. It's not just 60 minutes, but there's pl- 60 minutes is plenty of examples. Like I said, you, you mentioned a couple, then I said, Jeffrey, the, uh, Jeffrey Wigan and the tobacco industry one. And then of course you had Dan Rather, which was the, which was the absolute biggest one. So, um, I don't know. They're not going to learn, which is good because that keeps me employed. Matt, you're up. I listen because I like the conspiracies and I learned from the Oliver Stone interview that the government conspired to kill JFK. And I didn't know that. And now that I'm aware that the government does these conspiracies to assassinate our own president. So I, that's not misinformation, right? Right, Miller? Uh, but this, here, here's the thing about this. So if you, if you listen just straight for the conspiracies, I'm, be, I'm, I'm being very sarcastic. Um, no, I, I know you are, but no, but there's people who will say this and this is kind of like looked down upon. I actually really just like, I think it was uh, James Kerchick who he just talked about JFK, like actual, the, the actual like rampant homophobia in JFK, which is, you know, they blamed the JFK assassination on a bunch of gay Cubans. And I thought that was a really good read. And uh, I, I love that film. Like that's, that's a perfect example of like, here, here was a film that is like pure just speculation, wild misinformation, but people still watch it. It got like eleven Academy Award nominations, and but, you, but Miller, you look at Miller, this. And- where, where's the open letter from the from the intelligence community saying Rogan and Oliver Stone are spreading misinformation about the federal government that could lead to more January six riots if people don't trust the government? Have they written the letter? <laughs> Do you they think, haven't written Matt, a letter. Matt, you, like, Matt, why? Why Matt, is that conspiracy no, no, no. theory Matt, not a cons- what? Matt, genuine, genuine yes or no answer. Do you think the Patriot Fund are feds? Yes. Okay, because this was a this is a fun one. Uh, everybody saw like at that Patriot rally a couple months ago with the, like the four dudes standing around in the matching watches and the matching haircuts. And so I'm like, yeah, those guys don't belong there. So now you have the Patriot Front, and you have these like little clusters of knots. So this is another one uh, I talked to like reasonable people on, where I'm like, do you, do you guys think that is the Patriot? Do you guys really genuinely believe the Patriot Front is feds, or it's a like a Lincoln Project rat fuck operation? So that's another fun one that I, I'm I'm not quite there yet. But you you hear you get my point though. Yes. Like there there's whether the whether the fucking government killed JFK or not, it could be argued either way i like the oliver stone interview because it's interesting conversation and i like the dr malone one because there's some interesting shit in there that's definitely true and um and i think i'm the type of person who didn't listen to rogan at all and the more i hear how much the left hates him the more i want to listen to him so if he leaves spotify and goes to miller's patreon page i'll follow him there I don't think that's gonna. Uh, it's there's two schools of thought with if if Spotify caves, and I said on my podcast today, I think there's a chance they might. They're not going to cave to Neil Young. They might cave to Billie Eilish and Taylor Swift, which is why I think David Crosby tweeted out, you know, as I stated, you know, can I get in touch with Taylor Swift? And journalists are retweeting this like with a little, just a little ha ha wink. And I'm kind of like, you guys don't get to scream about the end of the Republican misinformation, and then you know, go back and you, you retweet the stuff or you just, you do it so sly because I look at that. I think Maggie Haberman was one. I look at that and I go, yeah, you're all for this. You're all for the 
deplatforming of people that aren't just Alex Jones. Um, but people are saying, you know, if he leaves Spotify, he'll just go somewhere else. And I think it was Zed Zolani who said, maybe not. Like, they, they, they deplatform people because they do think it works. So maybe Rogan starts his own website. Well, they're just going to go after the web host and on and on and on and on and on. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm not confident. I'm, I'm sitting here making fun of Neil Young and how the hippies have become, the, you know, the cops. Uh, I just wrote that for, for a spectator that should be out. Um, but on the other hand, I, I look at this and I'm like, this has been going on for too long. And this is also kind of where, where I think the Ida Shapiro thing is, where they're trying to pick off Joe Rogan, who has fuck you money like J.K. Rowling. They can't do that. So they go and they pick the, the little fights that they can win or they think they can win. And that's how you get things that happen, like with Ida Shapiro. Ian, you're up. Yeah, so I was going to say something sort of along those lines where uh, I'm actually surprised Michael Malice came up earlier too, but he uh, had tweeted out something today where people just assume that he'll that Joe Rogan will just disappear if Spotify drops him, but that just assumes that every other hosting site will go along with it, which, as you're saying, they might. They always could. It's the idea that YouTube would take down his clips and Spotify would based upon that uh, isn't unthinkable, but it gets, it starts getting to a point where when there's 11 million listeners an episode and it's become leading every news story, you're draw it's, it's sort of bringing the Streisand effect of, well, what's, what's actually going on. And it seems to be that they may be overplaying their hand where if they do manage to stop, the largest podcast on the planet isn't that going to bring more attention to what they're doing than what like than the concern of quote unquote misinformation that they're putting out ian do you do you listen to rogan at all or uh i listen every now and again uh why do you do it for the guests do you do it for uh does it media who brings the attention like the Robert Malone episode, and suddenly you're just like, oh, I should go listen to this now. Like, what's if you do it now, now and again, like, why? Typically, it's based on guests. A while ago, it was I listened more regularly when I was just getting into podcasts because it was like the biggest one. And now uh, it's more just if it sounds like an interesting one. Like, there was a few years back yet on a doctor that a sleep doctor. That was probably one of the best episodes that I never would have heard anything about if it weren't there. And so I'll usually just read the description. And if it's someone I'm interested in, I'll listen. And if it is, if it's like his eighth episode with Tom Papa, I'll usually skip it. Yeah. What's interesting when you talk about, like you mentioned like he had a sleep doctor on and stuff like this, he's kind of like a dude at a party where, you go to a party, you don't know that many people and you introduce yourself like, Hey, I'm Joe Rogan. And Hey, I'm, you know, Stephen, I'm It's like, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a sleep doctor. Oh, really? He has those kinds of spontaneous reactions to things he's not sure about. It's like he books guests strictly based on, you know, this sounds interesting to me. Let's get them on here. And again, this comes down to guy, people like Darcy and Stelter who are just like, you're not asking him pointed questions. It's like, you're not being Robin Roberts here with R Kelly or whatever. And what's interesting to me 
is you have today you had Jen Psaki saying, you know, what Spotify is encur- it's encouraging that they put a parental advisory sticker on this podcast, but they need to do more. And I'm thinking, why the fuck aren't you sending Anthony Fauci onto Joe Rogan where you could reach a hundred million people and Fauci could put out his, get, geez, get vaccinated. You know, he could do his whole song and dance. But the reason, of course, you know, they're not going to do it is Joe Rogan's going to kind of look at him and go, what's this game of function thing you're doing? You know, he's like, what, what, how much money did you pour into that lab? And he'll ask these questions and that's not worth it to them. And that to me says even more, but it's kind of like why, if you're the administration one, you shouldn't even be weighing in on this. And this is where I talk about where it's the PMRC. That was, that was congressional hearings. Now, are we going to get congressional hearings over Rogan? Eh, Don't put it above the Dems in the next six months to do it. But you do have the you, you do have the Surgeon General of the United States, and you have the press secretary, the, the mouthpiece for President Applesauce Brains, sitting here going, "Yes, yes, deplatform de- him. Yes, like limit the misinformation. Like yes, d- delete this episode." And I mean, again, all you have to do is flip this and go, "If this, you know, if this is Trump saying we're going to open up the libel laws, or whatever." And I think that that's really it, it's interesting that they can just say this out in the open and not a single journalist sitting in front of Jen Psaki just goes, are you advocating the censorship of Americans? And well, it's their platform. They can do whatever they want or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, if I, if I'm them, I don't know why you're not putting Walensky or Fauci in that seat. Cause he'll have them. Rogan would love to have Fauci, but I think they just look at this and go, Oh, they're going to ask questions we don't want, which is what this administration is. It's all just a controlled yeah, I think I think the situation is that they the, the reason why we all know is because it won't go the way that they want it to, because he'll ask questions in a way that isn't nearly as combative as Rand Paul does and far more actual questions of, well, why is this or can you explain this or can you show us the data? And he's not going to, and he's going to ask why he's going to try and get to the root of it and they're not going to have the sources like they won't go into the details and he'll call them on the bullshit but that's that's really the reason why i think he's so popular is because he isn't an expert the only there's only two things he's actually an expert on which is mma which he has his own separate show where he just goes into detail with mma stars and commentators that he actually numbers differently and then comedy, where he doesn't really get into detail about it, he just fucks around with his friends and talks shit with them. So it's not it's not as if he is the reason he's so popular is because he is a stand in for the audience. It isn't Lex Friedman and some and Brett and uh, Eric Weinstein talking about computational mathematics and AI. It's him actually, it's actually starting at a similar point to you and I, and we're all uh, sitting there figuring it out along with him. Yeah, I I don't know who said this, but I think it's funny, like, Joe Rogan has done more to drive the media nuts than than people like Rush Limbaugh and Andrew Beitbart or, or, you know, guys like me on Twitter. And he's, it's funny that a guy who encourages people to eat bugs for money on NBC is the guy who went. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, I'm not sure if you saw, but he tweeted out a 
the headline from the Japanese study that showed that ivermectin right. uh, worked against Omicron today. So I'm sure that's going to be taken very calmly and not at all uh, treated as misinformation. Yeah, I saw that. And I don't have an opinion on it either way until obviously you read more and you, and you, you see it. But this is, this is why I don't understand these people keep stepping on a rake is the science does keep changing. We do keep learning more about things. And, you know, he, someone could come out tomorrow and be like, hey, you know, the vaccine is going to cause you to, like, grow hair on the outside of your palms. And that's just going to be like, that's crazy, whatever. And there are a lot of people out there who are at the point where it's like, I fucking believe that. And it's not because of anything Joe Rogan is saying. It's because of the World Health Organization. It's because of the experts. And if you remember, it started in, you know, January of 2020, where the World Health Organization said Chinese scientists saying this is not human to human. We're good. And it just goes from there. And when you tell people, um, you know, my biggest thing with Fauci is not so much that he's wrong. It's that he tells noble lies. And a noble lie is still a lie. When you when you say that to, to people, you don't need to go around walking around in a mask in March of 2020. And he's saying that because he doesn't want people to do a run on masks. It's still a lie. And I was one of the first people to call for his resignation back in December of 2020 in print or in, on the web. And I said, it's it's not because of things Trump says. It's not because of a bias. It's because I'm looking at his track record where if you had a doctor, if your personal doctor said to you, uh, if he if he discovered cancer in your lung and told you like, no, nah, don't worry about it. You know, just, just, just maybe cut back on smoking a little. Uh, and then six months later, you find out it's metastasized more and you go to him and you go, why the fuck didn't you tell me I had lung cancer? That oh, was for your own benefit. I didn't want you to worry. You know, you had stuff. You'd fire him and you'd probably sue him. And that's always been my biggest thing with Fauci. And now it's just I see someone who has become a partisan bureaucrat um, who, who should just not be listened to or at least everything he says should be looked at through a lens of skepticism. And saying, okay, and this is the problem with what you see with Rand Paul and him, is how the media frames it. They frame it as whenever Rand Paul and, and Fauci throw down, uh, I'm not a fan of Rand Paul doing it. I wish he would ask more pointed, calmer questions. <clears throat> it's, it's framed as Anthony Fauci versus Rand Paul. Explosion grabs him. You know, fuck <laughs> off. And it's kind of, it's not framed as what is the truth here? Here's what Fauci's saying. Here's what Paul is saying. Let's dig in and figure out both of these claims and let's figure out what, you know, what's going on here. What's going on with gain of function? What's, what is that exactly? Um, let's go ask several other experts, not just him. And we don't get any of that. And that's the biggest problem with this. And that's, again, probably why you're not going to see Fauci on Joe Rogan's show anytime soon, because I think you're right. He'll probably just ask, he'll ask the questions in like a really dumb way. I'll just be like, but his gain of functions like spike proteins, right? And you know, Fauci's not in a congressional setting. So um, if I'm the administration, if you really if you really want to quell a lot of the shit, go put Fauci on a show. Rogan said in his apology video that, you know, that's what he's guilty of. He, he, he'll have someone like Robert Malone on and then he won't have someone on immediately who can counter that information. Um, well, someone who would do that is Fauci. So let's see it happen. Uh, Ian, thanks. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and take Eric if uh, unless you okay. have anything else. Uh, the last thing I was just going to say was on the uh, the noble lie. It's like I think Bethany Mandel pointed that they said something about vaccines. They didn't want to treat this vaccine as being any different so that people would just associate it with vaccines and take them up. 
as uncritically as before. But the concern is that as there's things coming out that we weren't told about the previous vaccine, like qu- questions with uh, menstruation and stuff like that, it's actually right. resulting in more people being skeptical of vaccines that have decades of quality data and history on it. And right. it's one of those unintentional consequences that people that results from a quote unquote noble lie. Yep. Cheers, Ian. Eric is up with my Photoshop of <laughs> Generalismo DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. Soon to be uh, enlisted, I guess. So um, I, I'm just wondering if, like, if you think what maybe the breaking point will be for sort of the mainstream media, or do you think it's going to be sort of a, um, a, a slow burn just because like, it just seems like there's like a huge void for like actual, like serious, like new shows. Like I know like there's Brett Bear, but like, it just seems like there's such a, an opening for, I mean, I know it's, there's this guy named Z dog MD, like I, <laughs> his YouTube channel, he calls it like the alt middle where it's not necessarily people that are committed to being in one tribe or the other. They just, want to actually hear like a variety of different like sources and opinions and not be like, as you said, like, you know, <laughs> Rand Paul versus Fauci or, you know, the other way around, like on the, on the right, on the, on the left. Um, yeah. I just wonder what your, what your thoughts on that are. I mean, you're seeing kind of the slow slide and this is, this is right media doing it as well as far as left media where, Cable news in particular is now basically CNN's entire program is dedicated to to just talking about Fox and Tucker Carlson. And I've talked about this a lot where that's Jeff Zucker's model, which is a WrestleMania model. He needs to have a heel to get a reaction. Um, Fox partakes in it. Some of it, obviously, Tucker is big on that. Um, But again, I, I look at it and I'm just like, as long as they think that that draws eyeballs or the right audience... And I've noted that CNN's business models, in particular Jim Acosta and his new show, is meant to just trend on Twitter. Uh, if you can't get viewers' eyeballs at airports, then you need to you need to do something that trends on Twitter or gets you people talking on whatever. And he did that when he compared Virginia to a, a Soviet-style state, where everyone, including myself, goes, "That's absurd! It's ridiculous!" But everybody fucking quote tweeted it, and it trended it. Um, and Zucker himself has basically just said, I just want to be, we, as long as people are talking about skin and that's all I care about. I don't care if it's negative or positive or anything like that. And if you think back to The Apprentice and Donald Trump, that is the exact same business model. We don't, yeah, Trump's loud and he's obscene and he, you know, you're fired and, and whatever. You, you, you've got to grab it by the pussy or whatever. And he became the number one star in television. And so they're trying to kind of use that model to, to work at CNN um, a breaking point? I, I don't know. They're, they're not going to learn. If, if there's any self-introspection, this Rogan thing is the one that says it. And Mary Catherine Ham said, said it perfect. She said, the media never misses an opportunity to look inward and look at itself, especially when one is like staring right at them. And like Brian Stelter will never understand that he is part of the problem and he's a big part of the problem. Um, it's just, it's gotta be something else. It's gotta, there's a reason why millions of people are listening to Joe Rogan and not us. And you saw that this New York times writer who said, he said this, he goes, perhaps we should spend less time worrying about what Joe Rogan is talking about and start looking at why more people are listening to him than us. 
And that became a huge point on Twitter. Like all the blue checks are in your fucker. And you had Nicole Hannah Jones in the 1619 project say, you know, you're t- we should be fine with millions of Americans being okay with white supremacy. <laughs> Just laugh. And this is someone who is, you know, accepted as an intellect among all of those people. Like they look up to her and the 1619 project is kind of like the baseline for all of this race driven bullshit that we're seeing in media now. And so you you literally and you just shrug like if that's if that's how you're going to be that it just must be racism which is why people listen to then Joe Rogan I, I guess you just shrug and you just say okay and the battle just continues I, I don't know what a breaking point is maybe it's maybe it has to be a second Donald Trump yeah and it's sort of um it, sort of, off of that point like one of the things that you ask like why people listen to Rogan like and I was sort of an early like Daily Wire person and. It's sort of interesting to to see sort of um, I want to say right wing uh, media personalities sort of go up against Joe Rogan sort of inquiry, <laughs> you know, and and what, like some people that sort of get um, like exposed like just for you know not really having a whole lot of depth to them was like Crowder and. Um, and Candace Owens, like, and I think it's sort of a good um, sort of vetting thing to see, like, okay, if you have to talk to someone for, you know, an hour and a half plus, like, are, are you, like, can you still maintain the conversation and not sound like a total idiot? You know, that that's one of the things <laughs> I sort of got. Um, I, 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 I'm struggling with that right now. Um no, not not on you guys. I, I know what you mean. Um, there, because this is such it's such a passionate arena. Um, you, you're going to find people that are going to try to exploit it, and it's up to you to kind of, you know, disseminate who those are going to be and who they aren't going to be, and and whatever. And unfortunately, you know, again, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to throw much at like Crowder or those people like that. I don't. It's not my particular brand of entertainment. Um, you know, I said when, you know, Trump was elected, there's, he's going to bring with him that style of media personality and people you'd never seen before um, and people who whose audiences have far eclipsed mine. And I look at it and I just go, you can either become what they are or you can kind of just stick to what you're doing. And, and if it works out, great. And if not, it passes you out. It's kind of why I don't lose my mind at, at Donald Trump. 24 seven, even though I don't vote, I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote for him at all. I didn't vote for him the first time or the second time. Uh, I openly wrote against his nomination and I, then I wrote to impeach him. Um, but I think if you let things like that define you either positive or negative, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to hit a wall eventually. And so if you stick to, you know, what you know, and I think that that's a big thing. You're not, you're not going to come on and listen to Versus Media Podcast to learn the intricacies of the capital gains tax or anything like that. If you stick to what you know, I think you're okay. And if you admit what you don't know, you're going to be fine. And especially if you promote people that know more things than you. Um, I say this when I retweet people or anything like that. Uh, you know, there are infinitely smarter people than me out there. Um, and so, I mean, hopefully there's that. So, yeah, people just have to discern that. And I don't think that this is about continuously browbeating you know, those people that you disagree with or whatever like that, or if they are doing that, or if you think they are doing that. So um, I know it's a kind of a, a little meandering, you know, off the thing, but yeah, I mean, 
that you're going to run into that on every side. You're going to run into kind of the, the grift and you're going to run into the infotainment. And I think you just have to look at it. Sorry, just one last question, if that's all right. Um, what, what do you think is keeping a lot of the mainstream outlets from having more sort of like a nuanced opinions like uh like marty mccary or um i'm thinking of like youtube personas like renee vanai prasad or some of the other ones that like aren't totally in the like you know anti-vax but they're not gonna like toe the line that you know like five-year-olds need to get boosters or else the human race is gonna cease to exist you know like why do you think the is there what do you think media is like sort of like sacrificing all of their credibility by not having more sort of like nuanced positions on. Uh, I don't think they care about nuanced position. I think it's all a food fight. I think it's pretty simple. Uh, it's why, it's why you see, you see vex people who are against vaccine mandates are now getting thrown in with anti-vaxxers. Like that, that, that happened like overnight. Um, you're just you're seeing people who are against mandates or, or they're anti-vaxxers that's it uh we saw that pretty much happen from the cnn left the msnbc and and things like that and that's that's a nuanced position i happen to fall right in there um i'm vaccinated i'm boosted i don't care if anyone else is uh, i don't think less of you you're not you know i'm not going to kick you off my hockey team or anything like that and I'm against mandates because, and it's, it's not the mandate that people are, it's, it's where we see where it can go. If you give them this power, we don't trust you to handle it responsibly. Okay. And again, the stuff with five-year-olds and masking kids, I guess, I guess in Colorado, they just lifted mask mandates uh, for, for private businesses everywhere, except fucking schools with kids. And you just, you, you just go, Why? Well, the people who make these decisions aren't going to be questioned. And the media who should be questioning them aren't going to question them because they agree with them. And so that's how you just get more and more people tuning them out and you get resistance to this stuff. So I just I think it's a simple I think it's a simple answer that they just they don't care about nuance because eyeballs are fleeting and you just need attention spans. So you're going to just go, well, if you're active, if you're if you're anti-mandate. Uh, you're also anti-vax. Wait, no, 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 next, next. It really is, I think, that simple. Oh, sorry about that, Chris. I knocked you off. Donna, you're up. How are you? Do you listen to Joe? Uh-oh. I think it's like the second time Donna's done this. Donna. Uh, I am going longer, by the way. I'll probably push this until five or so, depending on audience. Donna? Donna, I'm going to boot you. Hello? Oh, ooh. I have my finger over it. Hi, Donna. Tick, 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 tock. Oh, yeah. no. Why do, you, why, why do you listen to Joe Rogan, if so, or? Um, well, I have very little time to listen to Joe Rogan because I listen to your podcast. I listen to Ruthless. I have a true crime podcast I listen to. I read constantly. So um, I've, I've watched clips of him. I've never really sat and watched an entire show. Um, I'm not opposed to him at all. Um. I can certainly understand the fury that's going on around uh, his numbers. And I'm glad to see that an independent is getting the attention that he's getting. Um, We need more of that. I'm sorry that he's the only one. I'd like to see your numbers go up. You're very informative um, and really uh, nail the media, which they need a watchdog like you. 
and uh, that's why I listen to you and I read your writings. You're a very wonderful writer, by the way. Um, I have very, so I have I very see... good editors. <laughs> well, that always helps. Norm- normally, when normally um, on my pieces, like today with Neil Young, so a funny inside story. So I just I have a piece up at Spectator about Neil Young and how the hippies are the new cops with the batons, and uh, I had my editor come back to me and go, "I think we need to temper down the old person stuff." He goes, "I think we're gonna." <laughs> Because I think you're a little, I think you're going a little hard on the ageism here. And I went, well, yeah, with people like Neil Young, you know, I think it's good to go hard in on these. These people need, these people are going to, they're going to cling to every last ounce of like useless culture thing they've given us over the last 40 years. And we're basically just sitting here having to clean up their shit going (laughs) back to like the 80s and the 90s. And we're still dealing with that partying hillbillies presidency and um so yeah so it's funny like i just go okay well clean it up let me know if you need to change it and so i generally give them freedom to do that so no i just well i mean it it takes a good um foundation for an editor to do such a wonderful job so don't don't sell yourself short um it's kind of funny too with neil young i have another point to make but speaking of neil young uh you know, he did the song Ohio. I mean, for him to like side with censorship now is mind blowing to me. Um, and I, I know like back in the eighties, the hippies became the yuppies, but I never saw Neil Young that way. And it really made me wonder if this isn't really just some positioning to get his music heard. Nobody has spoken about Neil Young for decades. You know, so I'm not so sure that it's genuine. Right. I I, uh, I thought about it, that, but I don't know. Like, he's now over on Amazon or Apple. Like, I think it was Apple Music where it says, Neil Young lives here. Um, right. I don't, I don't know if it is with him. What I will say is it will not surprise me if other artists do it for that reason for strictly right. that reason to see to see the media coverage they get because that's that happens especially with pop artists um all over all all the time so it wouldn't shock me to like let's say i don't know lady gaga has an album coming out that she teases and then she says but i'm not putting it on spotify and that right. that'll get her trending for a, a week or whatever so that, it wouldn't shock me to see i don't know if that's i don't know if neil young has that in him at his age um, but. No, but his handlers might, and and like, look what happened with Barry Manilow. He he said, "Well, I didn't say that I was taking my music off of Spotify." Then everybody's talking about Barry Manilow. Nobody's talked about him for decades either, right? So you know, so yeah, I, I'm I'm not so sure how organic all of this is, but um, you know, whatever. It, it is it is what it is. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. I don't I don't know how Neil Young would benefit from that, and unless he has an album coming out. Or something, then I would I would right. be more inclined. So maybe he's, he well, has a, a new thing coming out, and he's going to say exclusively on Amazon. Then yeah, you just go, oh, you fuck. Well, what um, he what I he could def- did, I could definitely see like the Post Malones or the Weekends doing. Oh God, yeah. Ugh. Well, what he did do though, he did send his traffic over to uh, Amazon. Um, you can um, listen to his music for free on Amazon. So I don't know, whatever that deal that's, was. That's cool because Jeff Bezos definitely needs more power and influence. That's <laughs> right. no, there's no ethics there, right? Right. It's, it's a- 
Exactly. So uh, what I did want to um, talk to you about quickly, if I can get this out of my brain here, um, I don't know if you caught what Jen Saki said about um, the consequences of being soft on crime and how she snickered uh, right on the cusp of them burying Rivera, which was so tasteless. Yeah. Um, and uh, just everybody in the media seems to be ignoring um, inflation and gas prices and the crossings at the border and dropping migrants off in the middle of the night. Um, and I'm sure, or at least I hope, that the American people are paying attention um, Obviously, crime is affecting people. Inflation is affecting people. Their neighbors talk. You talk to each other. Um, and kind of what Eric was saying, like, what is the breaking point? Like, is the pendulum going to swing uh, in the media where they start seeing, hey, this administration is a failure and we better get away from it, get the get its funk off of us and start swinging the other way? No, wondering what your thoughts are. No, well, no, so. because if you look at look at what most of their coverage is, most of it is Donald Trump at January sixth. They're trying to kind of keep that stuff in the foreground. Um, mm. I will say he, he helps them do that when he goes out and he has a rally and he's like, "I'm going to pardon these guys," and then releases statements it's still talking about the election. That gives them fresh fodder to do that. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know how effective that is on a mass scale, which is. Again, like, I don't know how much the average American still cares about January 6th when, again, like what you're talking about, when areas of their cities are turning into, into dumps and crime is on the rise and inflation and there are empty grocery shelves. And the whole time the media is just laughing this off or telling us that, hey, it's your, it's your SUV is the problem, not, not, you know, the inflation is the problem. It's you that are the problem. And you got that, you got that condescension from Darcy and from Stelter who were like, it's the millions of people listening to Rogan who are the problem. And we have to figure that out. And it's definitely not us. Right. So they, the way they look at this is Donald Trump and the Republican party or the right are infinitely greater threat than inflation or uh, high gas prices or empty grocery shelves. And so we must, we must keep them in the forefront. And the reason why you know this is because this is, when you look at the people who these people retweet or pay attention to or who they promote, that's what they're talking about. Right now, CNN is just a complete democracy in peril where the country's over in seven months if Republicans take the House and the Senate. And then they can just install Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's going to install electors where even if he loses four states, he's going to steal these states. And as I've been arguing, uh, they're missing the forest for the trees here because if Joe Biden keeps going down this road and things keep going this badly, this early, Donald Trump's not going to have to steal anything. He will walk mm -hmm. back into the white house. And that, then we, then now you can talk about when does he decide to leave? Cause he'll start making the issue. Well, I get another term because of, you know, impeachment on the second. And then, yeah, now you have an issue. I I've expressly stated that Joe Biden and the and the lack of media coverage and a lack of critical media on him are the ones setting the conditions for a second Trump term. Mm. And, and they're going to have no one but themselves to blame should that happen. Um, and so do I see them turning on it? No, they're going to just, you're going to see these elections turn on the end of democracy as we know it. If, if uh, the, you know, the elections don't come out the way that we want. 
Uh, that is a talking point. We saw with Jen Psaki, we saw with Biden. It's not going to be legitimate. They're going to steal the elections, and the media is going to go all in on that. So, no, I don't, I don't see them turning their backs on Joe Biden. <laughs> well, I, I think they're very foolish. <laughs> That's what I think. I, I see, when, like when I saw her laughing about crime, a little snicker, almost a laugh. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it just it's, seems like it is funny how many new cycles Jen Psaki creates. Now, mm. I, I say that fully recognizing how many new cycles the last guy just created out of thin air, you know, either with a tweet or from the podium or, or whatever. Um, but remember, these are supposed to be the smart kids. Yeah. And this is what's funny. Whenever they try to what about Kaylee McEnany or Trump or anything, like that, I'm like, you guys were elected to be the smart ones. Um, that you were elected to not be this. And yeah, Jen Psaki, I think, is maybe the most tone deaf person in that administration where she talks about, you know, getting a margarita and, and doing a Peloton class or kickboxing. And then she said it again. And then she talks about the tragedy of the treadmill not being delivered. And then she talks about, you know, no, we're not soft on crime. And you're just saying this on Fox. It's a myth. And again, <laughs> there, there are things this administration can hide from. And there are things they can spin. And I noted this. So she said uh, with supposedly bad unemployment numbers coming, she said, well, the reason why the reason why those are going to look bad is everyone called in sick during oh, the yes. Omicron surge. Yeah. And, I look, and what you have to understand about Saki is she is a smart kid who looks at this as a game. Whenever she gets a problem put in front of her, she looks at it and says, how can I spin this? What can I say? that's new and whatever. And that's going to get me out of this and whatever. And she looks at it as a fucking game. Mm -hmm. And that that's a perfect, that's a perfect example of being a spin doctor, which is, well, the reason job information is be bad because people just called in sick that day. And she knows that the majority of the people in that room who are CNN, NBC, CBS, whatever, who are former colleagues of hers, aren't going to sit there and go, that's the stupidest thing that I've ever heard, other than maybe Peter Ducey, which she knows she can do a clever quip and it'll trend on Twitter and that minimizes it because it's... And she and they don't see it as shooting themselves in the foot? No. I, I don't understand that. Well, I, I mean, they don't, they don't think like normal people. <laughs> well, she is a soulless ginger. There is that. that right there, sure. there is that. She is, she is, thank you very much, yep. Stephen. You have a Thanks, wonderful Donna. night. Yeah, take care. Uh, I'm going to probably be winding this down in the next 30 minutes, but I'll we'll try to get as many people in. Okay, first off, as a ginger, I put that. Um, okay, I've now just dropped but, Opie uh, and moved on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on, the, on the topic of Joe Rogan, uh, you know, he's always been my long-ass car ride uh, list. Um, that and Van Carlet. For me, Joe Rogan was always just for the guest. He's always just been kind of a shaved monkey get awesome guests and you're the third you're the third person you got it exactly right he's the guy at the party like oh you're asleep side cool um and i think for the rest of us it's probably i don't think there's many people out there who are like, interested in joe rogan's already it would not shock me in five years if aoc does twitch it wouldn't shock me yeah i think i think you i think you're really onto something with that and i think it was funny when the presidency of the United States used to be the, the zenith of your career as a politician. Like you, you just retired after it. You know, it's like, I am the president. I served four to eight years. I'm going away. George Bush went to like Africa and became a painter, you know? And we saw with Obama, when, when Obama left, he went to Netflix 
and he became a producer for shows on Netflix and podcasts. And he's, he's a cultural influencer in, in, in all of this stuff. And I, and that, of course, that, that, that says nothing for the guy that followed him with Trump. I always found it interesting that Trump was a, a, a famous celebrity executive TV producer, branding guy who became president. And the guy before him was the president and became all the things that Trump went and did a podcast host and a producer for Netflix and all the stuff. I think it's funny because I think you're dead on about AOC. I think she's either going to be president or she's going to get her MSNBC show and just say enough of this shit. I, I'm a brand. I can go to Instagram and I can do this stuff. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, I wanted, I wanted to really nail that because I think you're right about that. And that started with Obama. Obama was just like the celebrity president. And when he walked out of the Oval Office, it was just like, I'm going to go to Netflix and I'm going to do TV and I'm going to create stuff and I'm going to do podcasts and, and whatever. And it, it's weird that, you know, the presidency is just viewed as a stepping stone for exactly the kind of. And I'll disagree with you on one thing. Uh, in the show in your see, I think she wouldn't go to traditional. Right. I think she'd go where she already right. is. Um, if I could, Spotify could offer her $100 million to, to leave Congress and we'll give you your own podcast. And someone like that will say, I can influence more people this way than I can doing, you know, legislation. The one other person I could see it, and with his absolute bang my head against the wall tweet today, is I can, I genuinely don't think, and I know some people on his staff, that Ted Cruz is going to run for with that, or starts in- um, yeah, I mean, Jason Chaffetz quit to go to Fox. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna. I, th- I think we're gonna start seeing way more of that, and that kind of. And maybe there is some that I can affect more change as a pundit than as a random houseman or an influencer. Um, or an influencer. Or an influ- I can do it from the right and the left. I think we're gonna start. Seeing yeah. More of this. I yeah. mean, who's more powerful, you, you, Carlson or um, Mike Rogers, who's the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee? No one knows right. right. And you you see this a little bit with people like Matt Gates, who is just primed to be a Fox host, um, and, and things like that. Whether you whether you like him or not is not is completely beside the point. Um, I think something you also touched on is the reason why media like this, like Clubhouse, Colin, or social media, or Twitch, or Spotify. Or Rogan gets these guests is just because cable news people aren't fucking interesting. They they are the same kind of cookie cut personality of dude in a suit or you know female host with big with a nice big rack or whatever. And I think that you you hit on that, um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. People are just cable news isn't interesting. There, there's some people on there that are interesting, but for the most part, there's a format, there is a time-tested, proven uh, paradigm that works for that format, and I think people just tune out, and they just, they're just like, no, there's infinitely more interesting things to listen to. There's only one traditional uh, media host who's for not the reason. Um, Greg Kelly's nonsense, but yeah, I think it's yeah. Like, I call I call Greg Kelly I call Greg Kelly Drill Mitchell. Drill Mitchell. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just I would much rather listen to Katie Herzog or even like someone who I disagree with on everything, like Shoe on Head or someone like that. It, it's more honest, it's more interesting time, but that's really it. I just... <laughs> I'll maybe watch you. Uh... 
I'm a student. I haven't got time. Um, I think it's people my age. If someone my age is traditional, it's kind of we kind of see that. I'll give my time and you know, shout out to Tom Brady as a hero. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Opie. No, good points. Um, you, you always you always bring up good things to think about, and I, I agree with I, I agree a lot with what he's saying about people aren't interested in kind of congressional power anymore. They can just they can go become an influencer or whatever. I uh, I agree. I think the other one is Ted Cruz. Yeah, I, I mean Ted Cruz is he's doing a podcast and he's doing the stuff and you know shit posting and, and stuff. And it's I know that there's a there's a thing contingent like on the bulwark, right? He says, you know, he's not interested in being a congressman anymore. And I think that there's a Michael. Great. Thanks, Stephen. Um, not to sound like Mac from Always Sunny, but breaking news today is Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL, yeah. which includes some discussion of his interview with John Elway, supposedly hungover. I was just wondering if you'd had any chance to, to look at that or if you had any reactions or thoughts. Uh, I, I, I've been, I've been kind of browsing it cause I've been doing this and then I had my podcast today. So it's kind of, um, so here, here are my first, here are my first, uh, impressions of it. So he's suing the NFL. Uh, he's, it's a class action suit. He's suing basically every single team that had a coaching opening. It looks like, or 29 of these suing every team. And he's doing it based on a tweet from Bill Belichick where Brian Flores is formerly of the Patriots. So he has a relationship with Belichick and he was supposed to interview with the giants and Belichick tweeted or texted him that they've already hired Dable, uh, who is the offensive coordinator from the bills. That gives the impression that they've already agreed in principle with Brian Dable to be the coach. And they only are going to interview Brian Flores as part of the Rooney rule. Um, Flores is also suing all of like the coach, all of the openings. He said, uh, I'm reading this directly from Twitter here. Flores also said the Denver Broncos put him through a similar interview three years ago with no intention of considering him for the job. So they, he's arguing that they had also, that they had agreed to hire Vic Fangio, but then just say, Hey, we're going to interview this black guy to, to just get this out of the way. Um, I think there's possibly something to that. The problem is when you read the brief, he's throwing in quotes about Martin Luther King, and he's throwing in quotes about civil rights heroes, uh, Ida Bay Wells, and it looks performative. Like, if he would have just stuck to that in that that small lawsuit brief, and he, he says on the, on the first day of Black History, I'm kind of like, okay. Um, I don't know how he, other than the text message, I don't know how you prove this. Um, the problem he has with the Broncos is to say that the Broncos did not did not hire me because of my race is that was coming off of uh, hiring Vic Fangio was coming off of three years of Vance Joseph as the head coach. Vance Joseph is an African-American. Um, Vance Joseph did not have a very successful tenure in Denver. Um, you can argue why that is. There's several coaches who are given second chances and they go on. And they go and they're better their second time around or whatever. I think Vance Joseph is being considered for the Dolphins as well. That's why, just experience wise, that's not going to stick. Um, I think it's hilarious. It's like Elway came in disheveled and drunk. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why Elway's a legend. Um, so, yeah, that I was the part I really liked. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he didn't show up for the interview like he meant it. 
So part of this, I, I think it's interesting that Belichick gave him that text and said, well, from what I hear, they've already hired Dable. But you're going to have to prove intent. The Giants could, could come back and say, unless, they, unless there's more evidence here, I look at this and say, what would the, what would the defense be? D- the defense here could be the Giants come back and say, well, we did, we did interview him. We did like him. But, you know, we kept the process open and we wanted to interview Brian because he became available suddenly with the Dolphins. People forget that Flores getting fired in Miami was a big shock. Um, and everyone, what was interesting about that, is I think every single one of these openings when Brian Flores was fired, we're like, yeah, we'll take him. We'll interview him. Yeah. And I think I was even that way in Denver. I think I even tweeted about it. Like, yeah, bring him here. Let's, let's talk to him because he, it's weird that a coach who won eight, nine games in a row is suddenly fired. And for what it sounds like, it sounds like he was clashing with the front office because of the quarterback. Okay. Um, so I think it's interesting. He's not going to, he doesn't have a lot of ground to stand on because the, the, the Broncos are simply going to say, why? How can he say we were racist when we just had an African American head coach for two, three? I think it was three seasons that Vance Joseph was there. So yeah, the, I don't know. The the, the that me, was... This to me, this to me just looks like media chum. They are all over this. Like this is a this is a perfect thing, and it could be Brian Flores just doing a power move to get into a job. It might work, but to me, this also kind of looks like if you're a team, this is kind of the Kaepernick syndrome. If you're a team, why the fuck would you take this guy on now? If if the second you fight, let's say Brian Flores comes in, let's say he goes to New Orleans over this. Like, let's say New Orleans is like, yes, he's right. Uh, we're going to bring him in. Brian, you're right. Um, you're a great coach, and it's wrong what the Giants did to you. In the name of equity, we're going to hire you in New Orleans. And let's say he goes 3-15 and 15, or whatever the record is the next season. And let's say the next season he goes 4 and tw- and what do you think happens in New Orleans go, if we fire this guy, he's going to sue us for racism and discrimination. So now what do you do? I guess you look at it and go, this is something that was probably going to happen with the Rooney rule. It's never been a good rule. Um, I, I don't know. It looks like when you read the amicus brief, when you read the actual class act, it's just like if he would have stayed on the topic about the, the text message, then I think he probably it's interesting, but then when you read it and he's like putting himself up there with Malcolm X, it's kind of like, dude, this this looks. Pro- there was one angle that I I thought was really interesting, which is this allegation that the owner offered him a hundred thousand per loss to tank and get a better draft pick. Now that the league has embraced gambling, I it seen seems that. like if that's true, that's the kind of thing that could could prompt a lot of investigation. Of course, it's always if true. Right. I, um, I didn't, anyway, thought it was interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I, yeah, no, I didn't see that part of it again. I've just been browsing as I've been on here. Um, it's like John Elway didn't put on a suit for me. Like, <laughs> Okay, like, whatever. I don't think John Elway's been sober. I think he played both of his Super Bowls drunk that he won. So, I mean, you're not going to get in. Gregory, what's going on? Man, you got ADD. You're all over the place. I know. I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I don't have ADD. I've been doing this for almost two hours now. We're down to back to 69 people. Nice. Uh, uh, hey, I, I'm just going to say, uh, you know, I do listen to Joe Rogan. I really like him. Um, Why do you listen to him? I, I like his uh, – well, it first started out just, you know, listen to the, the comics that were on there and them just bullshit. And I always found the, that kind of a fascinating behind-the-scenes thing. But – 
Then I started listening to him more when he starts interviewing people. And I think the reason why he appeals to so many people, especially like myself, he doesn't try to act like an elite. He doesn't act like a smart ass and he doesn't try to talk like he's smarter than everybody else. You know, I mean, Rachel Maddow, I mean, she tries to talk like she's a genius and maybe she is, but for regular people, it's just like, I don't know. It seems like sometimes it's just overwhelming. And, you know, if someone starts telling him something that he doesn't understand, it's great because he goes, wait, can you go back and say that again? I don't understand. And he'll get him to kind of break it down to something simple. And I think that's why people like it because it's simple. It's easy to understand. And, you know, he does a great job. And, it, you know, I, the thing that's kind of been cracking me up about the whole thing with him is, you know, Howard Stern just keeps bashing him. And uh, Howard Stern, you know, back in the day was the guy who was anti-government on everything. And, you know, the wild man, and he was totally against his wife, his current wife taking the birth control pill because he said, you should never put a drug into your body that you don't know what could happen to you, your long-term effects and all this stuff. And he's immediately, you know, and that thing's been around since 1960. And he's immediately now just jumping on a, a vaccine that, you know, and I'm vaxxed, I, I got the booster, but he's jumping on the, this vaccine like it's, you know, proven. And, and I mean, most vaccines, you know, they say take five to 12 years. This is quick. Hopefully it's going to work. But I'm just saying that, you know, here's a guy who was, you know, the, the king of all media. And now he is the king of, you know, whatever the government says. And I, it's just kind yeah. of a shock when you see that, you know. You sh- you're going to like my new spectator piece because I, I include Howard Stern in there with Neil Young. That, like, these are guys who made their careers off, you know, I don't want to say shock. Like, Neil Young Neil Young said some pretty crazy shit in his life. But I always look at him that's a, that's what musicians are. Like, who cares? Um, but Howard Stern in particular, he he's he is the epitome of anti-establishment radio media rebel uh, who just who set heads on fire. And you're right. I, I included him specifically for everything you just said. Like, I think he's actually more shocking than anything Neil Young or Joni Mitchell or, you know, the boomer parade, you, you know, exiting Spotify have said. And I don't think enough pay, enough has been paid attention to Howard Stern's turn on this and i think it's i i agree with you that that's to me the i know it just it's crazy i mean just especially you on the birth control pill that he was so against you know and now he's just like oh it just kind of blew me away and i loved him for years and then you know after he stopped being so angry and you know i mean he used to hate hollywood because he felt like he was way, way more talented than all those people and then as soon as he became buddies with them, that's where I, you kind of saw a turn, you know. So, but you know, I like Rogan. I think he's funny. I think he he talks to people at, like just a regular conversation. Um, and, and you know, where I really got into him is when he had uh, it, when COVID all started. You know, he had Dr. Brett Weinstein on his show, and they were talking about you know COVID and bats, and you know he's he's got his PhD in bats, and you know it was like Weinstein was so careful. He kept saying a hypothesis, not saying theory. You know, just really careful with his language and then people were going crazy on Weinstein trying to you know cancel him you know and it was like wait this guy he's got his PhD in bats and he kept saying I don't think this thing has come you know he said it's like a 50-50 chance that it came in a wet market you know and they wanted to cancel the whole thing you're like well this guy should have a you know a scientific reason to be speaking and they started it from there and it just kind of kept getting worse so I don't know. yeah one yeah, one of the other problems that they have with this is you now have Fauci in emails and Francis Collins from the NIH in emails going, we need to shut all of this talk down. We instantly needs to be shut down. It needs to be countered. 
And I thought they're like, they're, it's their passion for wanting to get people to shut up about the lab leak theory. That's really interesting to me. They were really adamant on this and it doesn't seem like they're adamant on it to stop the spread of misinformation. They seem pretty adamant on it for other reasons that we don't know yet. Um, Oh, you, you had something else. And I was, I was going to just, uh, sorry. I was just, I was literally, while you were talking, I was being a bad host. Um, that Mike Kliss, while we're on this topic, real fast, Mike Kliss from the Denver Post, who's a Broncos reporter, has a series of tweets saying that Brian Flores said his interview process was nothing but great, and they they hired the right guy in Big Fangio. Uh, okay. Um, no, but I, the, the thing about you said about Rogan not condescending to his audience, I think is probably the most important thing, because you do get that. You do absolutely get this. I'm smarter than you. Because I'm, t- I'm on TV because I'm smarter than you. And if I was if I wasn't smarter than you, then I wouldn't be on TV. And this this a lot of this comes back to what I said about just talk about what you know. And so many times in media, on every cable news network, you you get people on there who are just trying to impress you with their brains. Uh, I'm going to be on Kennedy tomorrow night. And one thing I've always said is this is like I'm not here to try and impress you with my brain as much as I am to kind of give you a, a, a take, my personal take, and maybe be a little smartass about it, but. Um, I think you're right about that with Rogan. It's like you said, everyone said he just plays the audience. He's just kind of like the shaved monkey who's in the audience there. Um, and I think that that probably has a lot to do with it. It's I'm not going to be, you look at the, the people who claim to be experts and we're on TV and we're, you know, going to, going to show how much smarter than us. I think that that's where people just tune out. There's ah, I don't need this. I don't need this. Yeah. All right, and I'm going to give you one last conspiracy theory that I've come sure. up with because yep. when I when I was a kid, you know, AIDS was the big thing that also started spreading, and they kept trying to say, "Well, where did it come from?" and this whole thing. And if you still look it up today, they said, "Well, AIDS probably came from chimpanzees, and people ate them, and that's how you know it it became spread." And now we learn more of science. It's super hard for a zoonotic to jump to the humans, and I'm almost going. Did they just do the same exact thing with the Wuhan virus where they, you know, took the same exact thing that we was talked about back in the day with, you know, these chimps that had AIDS. Um, now they just said, well, let's just use that same story over here for COVID and everybody's going to believe it because, you know, that happened so long ago and everybody did believe it back then. And I'm now going, was AIDS made in a lab? I mean, it's I know it's probably you probably think I'm a nut, but I'm going that story is the same exact story as the wet uh, market theory. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little bit before my time. I don't know enough about it. I can say, as I've written more about Anthony Fauci and looked into his past testimony on swine flu and SARS-V1 and stuff like that, his his past statements uh, working with AIDS is fascinating. And I don't mean that biased anyway. Either way, uh, it's 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 almost like they didn't learn anything like they're, they're treating us. And I just wrote this piece for spectator magazine about this, where, you know, I I think people have a fundamental misunderstanding about who Anthony Fauci is. Uh, He's not the boogeyman on the right. And he's not the saint on the left. He is someone who I think the the laws of man don't apply. And so I've said this where I I don't, I, again, I, I, I would need to go back and look more at it, but it's this thing like with viruses, his whole, his whole life going back to the, the discovery of the AIDS virus has been about, uh, new viruses and, and we must study these and we must change them. We must study this protein spikes and we must do all of this. And even if it kills 16 million people, you're still just going through the scientific process. 
And it's kind of the, it's trying to find the perfect specimen, the perfect virus, perfect vaccine. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about uh, kind of the stuff you're going up to, to kind of go off on a conspiracy. It wouldn't shock me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. I, and I just think uh, whoever runs for president, I think that one of the things they put in their platform is says the United States will never spend any money or let it be moved around in any way again for gain of gain of function. Because obviously, yeah, I mean, this is just it's it's crazy. it's a delicate thing to say that. And I'm kind of there. My attitude is you guys just blew it. Like, I get you're trying to do this in the betterment of learning how these viruses work and how someone might use this as a bioweapon in a government and how this could and stuff. But it's it's like I said, we wouldn't hear we wouldn't be sitting here having to develop vaccines for these viruses if you guys would stop fucking around with them. And that's not to say every one of these every one of these things is a uh, zoonotic origin and not everyone is a lab leak or anything like this. Um but if there is an element here that feels like you're just you're trying to manipulate natural processes to discover vaccines for things that were not naturally processed. So when you are doing gain of function research, which isn't which doesn't mean bioweapon, it doesn't mean you're going to release it 12 monkey style. You're, you're doing it to learn about how viruses breed, how they jump, how they do this stuff. It can all be honest research. That doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> Like, it doesn't mean that it's something that we have to be doing um, because then you do this. And now, thanks to whatever, we now have to fi- find a vaccine for this virus that we wouldn't have to be finding a vaccine for if we didn't fuck around with it in the first place. It's a delicate topic. And I'm not for the I'm not for the blanket banning of gain of function research. Uh, I'm kind of for banning it in hostile governments who won't be transparent with things when it happens. That's what I mean. That's what I'm against. And there is no excuse for giving a hostile foreign dictatorship uh, like China free reign with our taxpayer money when we have no idea what's happening in that lab. None. Uh, They do. They know what's going on in there, but they are bent on keeping us out of it. But they're happy to take our funds. That I am a whole hundred percent against. Cut them off completely. No more taxpayer money to China for this kind of research. They blew it. Uh, I'm going to take Zach, JC, and Robert, and then uh, call it a night. So just three of you left. Um, Ran obviously longer than I always intended to, but that's kind of how this is going. Zach, you're up. Are you a a Rogan fan? Do you listen to him? Um, I haven't listened to a a full Rogan episode since um, Alex Jones was losing his mind and going full anime hero. Back when when everyone was everyone in the media was was um, splooging themselves over Michael Cohen saying uh, I don't know and I don't remember to Congress, um, I actually called for something different, and I'm about to make everybody really uncomfortable, but that's what I do best. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2013. In 2016 we found that it had metastasized to two different areas. At no point in that time have I ever been afraid of anything as paranoid as these COVID idiots are over a respiratory virus. It, it, I don't know if I can be afraid of something to that level. Are you, are you talking about the vaccine or not getting vaccinated and is your cancer in remission or 
um, it's not remission. It's adrenal cortical carcinoma. Um, if you look up adrenal, you'll find it. Um, it, it will probably never be in remission again. It's just the way it, it goes. But I mean, um, the media that, that had pushed for locking everything down, everyone wearing multiple masks, you know, the, the, if you, if you catch this, you're going to end up in the hospital and, and you're going to die. Um, you know, even when we, we learned that, that the numbers out of New York and New Jersey were, um, uh, Cuomo's attempt to, to match Rommel for the highest kill count for the greatest generation. <laughs> right. Um, um, sorry, keep going. Oh, it, it turns out that I, I, at one time I was a biology teacher. Um, so I did have a background. So every time I would say something and, and someone would go, do you have a science background? It's like, well, yeah, I do. And that's how I kind of know that this guy's full of shit. So I assume, so I assume you're not, are you vaccinated or is it, is it your mission prevents you from it? Or did you take any of that into consideration? So you just said you are okay. Um, I, I my oncologist uh, told me to 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 get it. Um, I you know anything I uh, have injected into me goes through him. Just that's kind of kind of standard operating procedure for something like I have. Um, and the treatment I'm on right now doesn't doesn't suppress the immune system like a. Like you would think with the traditional IV bags of chemo. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, it's, you mentioned it just because you you faced cancer and the hysteria over a respiratory virus, and a, a lot of that's from media. Again, as I said, like the Atlantic, we saw with the Omicron surge, and the, and the, the Atlantic was treating this like the second coming of Ebola, and suddenly everyone who did everything right, like the New Yorkers and DC, we, we did everything and you shouldn't be ashamed of catching this. And these were the same people who grave danced on, you know, Herman Cain or, or whomever else. Um, it's an interesting perspective that, you know, I, I think for the first like month that this happened, I, I, I was kind of like, all right, well, let's just kind of see what this is. And I had people in my life telling me, you know, like you, you're, you're in media and stuff. So what, what do we know about this stuff? And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I'm like, this is, you know, this is coming from, you know, China where it's locked down. They're welding people inside their houses in China. So I was kind of like, either this is really bad or they're overreacting, which is kind of China's thing. Um, but I think it with you now where it's just like, look, if anyone at this point who doesn't want to get vaccinated, that's I don't care. It's fine. Um, if you have underlying health conditions, you're probably running a risk, but that's, that's a risk for you to run. And remember, this was all supposed to be about, you know, slowing the spread to keep hospital beds open. That's all this was. It was just, again, like you said about, you know, Cuomo's then putting people in the nursing homes and that gets ignored. But this was all about hospitalization. It was never about cases. The only time it became about cases, we're going to stop counting cases now, was when it started affecting uh, people who were vaccinated in DC and New York. And so, and then you see what's going on in LA with Newsom, you know, I think it's funny. Like, I don't think it's being talked about enough because people don't want to talk about the subject that you had Gavin Newsom massless standing next to 
Magic Johnson, who is 60 years old and has an immunocompromised virus, probably the worst one you can possibly have. And they just glossed over it. He's like, no, I had my mask. And it's all, like I said, theater. So, um, but Zach, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like it's when you, when you have certain mental conditions that are serious and things like that, um, I can get how looking at something that's pneumonia, it's, it's a heavier form of pneumonia and it's, it's not just the flu like Trump wrote it off as, um, but I can definitely see kind of where. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I, obviously I'll joke about it and, um, at one point, my, my mother got very upset with me for it, and I finally just had to explain. I'm like, look, it is what it is. I have it. I can either joke about it and have fun, or I can sit at home and be depressed. I said, it's one of the two, and one of them um, is far more destructive than the other. And What's the best joke you've made about your cancer? Oh, my God. Um I actually have a card in my wallet that says the cancer card. And whenever I, I ask for something and someone says no, or they're busy, I just pull it out of my wallet and hand it to them. <laughs> that's like a Larry. That's a complete Larry David move. You're going to have the cancer card. Um, so, I mean, when they, when they originally found the adrenal tumor, um, we didn't we didn't know much about it other than my adrenal gland was the size of a cantaloupe, and that's why I was in such bad shape. So we went and saw the saw the doctor for the first time, and I asked him, I was like, "Can you give me something for the pain because this hurts?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll get you something." And so he did, and I popped one on an empty stomach, and so by the time we got to dinner, I mean, I was basically drunk. And anything drink, but that's where I was. And so we're actually sitting at a at, we're sitting at a Chinese restaurant, and I was at one end of the table, kind of talking to my aunt. And my mom was like, "I don't see any low sodium soy sauce here." And I was like, "I'll drink the regular stuff." And I was like, "You'll drink soy sauce?" And I'm like, "Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? I'll get cancer." <laughs> uh, that's kind of like the, the funniest thing on this one is like. When people talk about, you know, how China's threatening countries or the world or their behavior or through the Olympics or anything like this, it's kind of what I sound like. What are they going to what what are they going to do? Are they going to release a plague on the world and, you know, put us through a pandemic? So, um, yeah, um, well, uh, I mean, so, I had microbiology ahead. 13, 14 years ago and, and the professor was talking about um you know, military research doing doing gain of function and making antibiotic resistant strains of of the Black Plague, and you know it didn't get off the base, but it could have. So I yeah. I kind of expected something like this was was coming for a while. Yeah, I didn't know it was come from China. Yeah, yeah, we were definitely due for this, so we definitely earned it. Uh, Zach, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of wrap up and take a couple. Of, but thanks for thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for getting and, and good luck to you. And and um, I know it's probably day by day, and I know it's probably. Oh, I mean, it's you didn't you didn't it make depends on how me, frustrated you didn't make me or the room as uncomfortable as I think you you could have. You could have definitely made you could have like you know definitely made it way more uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've been. <laughs> Um, I, more than one person told me to tone it down, so I've been been working on that. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Down. I'll, uh, 
T- well, tone, the mean, ca- tone the cancer shit down. You know, will you please well, stop I mean, playing it up so much? I mean, tone down, you know, kind of, kind of, it's like a friend of mine. I said, what are you doing an hour? She said, I'm working. I was like, look, I have cancer. Your work will be there in an hour. I might not be. <laughs> I said, don't tone that down. Play play it up for, for all that you can. So, thanks, <laughs> so, Zach. I, thanks. Thank, thank you. I'll talk to you later. Cheers. Take care of yourself. I'm going to take JC, and then I'm going to take uh, Robert and Dan. I apologize, uh, but I got two hungry pups here. JC, go ahead. Okay, Robert. Okay, I'll take – I'll take. all right, I got Robert, Dan, and Rogers last here. So as long as you guys kind of make some good points, make it kind of quick, we'll, uh, we'll end it there. Uh-oh. Getting impatient. All right. Dan, you lucked out. You're like – like the Cincinnati Bengals just drawing the, the easy two games. Just hanging on to the last second. So uh, I'm going to bring it down a notch and let everyone know I'm an Oregonian. And if you can believe it, they issued a permanent mask mandate through the Oregon Health Authority on Friday. So I feel like the world I live in is the only place there is, but it's just crazy to think of open free places around the United States. So I know, I know they were talking about it. So they actually institute, I'm going to have to probably look that up. So they actually instituted permanent mask mandate. Is that indoor, outdoor, or what are the specific? Yeah, it's indoor. Um, the, the one they filed was for schools, um, for students and teachers. And then they're filing this week, I think, one for permanent indoor mask mandates for indoor public places. Is this something that you've looked at and said, I'm fucking out of here. Like I'm going to move. Or- <laughs> so I moved from uh, Portland to the suburbs thinking I got to get out away from where Portland's heading and I can find respite in maybe a red County, but I'm still under the umbrella of the blue state. And the only way, and Steven, you say this all the time, it's going to end when we vote them out. And I have this sneaking suspicion that November is going to be quite the uh, wake up call here in Oregon. I mean, a state that is left coast. And I know you, yeah, you but I mean, too, Oregon. So. Yeah, uh, I did. I lived in, so in Portland, if you know, where Ganton Bine Avenue oh, yeah. up in North yeah. Portland. I, li- yep. I lived up there. I also lived off like Northwest and Davis. And I live just down off Hawthorne. I lived in those three parts. I lived yeah. everywhere but like the northeast. Um, yeah, the thing about Oregon is it's not a total blue state. It's a lot of rural is red. It's it's similar. People think that Oregon is just a far left kind of California, Washington, and it's really not. It's it's more akin to uh, like a Colorado or other kind of states where the metropolitan areas are blue. And then all everything outside of the city is red, and that's kind of how Donald Trump won. Um, <clears throat> it's like Hillary Clinton won all the heavy cities, and then Trump took everything else. I mean, Oregon is not one of those states where it's solid blue, and it's one yeah. of those where yeah. it's this it's this kind of shit. Like Portland's lost, turned it into Escape from LA. It's gone. Okay, but <laughs> it's one of those states where you can fully, completely see in twenty twenty four Rachel Maddow sitting there. And wondering how the hell they just lost Oregon to Ron DeSantis. Yeah, and it's uh, a week prior to them issuing, you know, and it's just some government bureaucrat issuing this mandate. 
through the Oregon Health Authority, but there were hundreds of people on a call in to voice your opinion that were completely against it and some bureaucrat issues the thing. So I foresee interesting things happening in in this blue state here. Yeah, well, keep us keep me keep me posted on like just the reactions to that stuff because I mean, like yeah, I said, different. they're just this. They're going to have to rip the pandemic away from these people, and even yeah. that, like Glenn Youngkin was elected on this, and even now you see school districts are turning away kids without masks or treating them different, and it's just like they aren't going to fucking stop, and it's going to it's <laughs> going to have to be a resounding message, and I don't know how they get that. Maybe it's the funding teachers unions. Maybe it's a 42 state wipeout where finally people just finally fucking go, okay, that's, it's not worth it this electorally to happen anymore. Or it takes a second Trump term. I don't know. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Keep us posted. Yeah. Uh, Roger, you're going to be the last. Roger. Maybe Robert gets a second chance here. All right. Sorry, Roger. Robert, you're up. You're last. All right. Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. We're good. Can you hear me? Oh, all right. Well, I'm at dinner with my. I can hear. I can hear you and everyone in your picture. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, this is a great format. I got my wife surprised me with a second Frenchie, so we now have two in our little pack. My condolences to your wallet. Oh yeah, yeah. No, this is actually our third. Uh, The first one had an early demise, so we'll leave it at that. Dude, this is great. I've been, a, I've listened to you. You made me laugh on Twitter. I've been on your um, other stuff. Great. I don't, I'm probably the only one on this call now. This is a great format. Keep it up. And I'm glad to be the last one. Have a good night. Uh, perfect, Robert. Good luck with the new Frenchie. My, my first one just turned six. She just had her sixth birthday. So that's great that, you know, she's healthy and everything, but I'm, I'm definitely seeing that kind of, I'm not, the, the the hill is starting to turn a little bit. So I'm, it's bittersweet at this age, so I'm kind of like, eh. But uh, no, she's been great. So I, I don't anticipate getting a third Frenchie. So <laughs> you're way braver than I am. Um, but thank you, and thanks for tuning in. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying this format. It's a little different than podcasting. It's kind of like, you know, it's a little bit like talk radio. Uh, but I'm enjoying kind of the different perspectives that everyone's bringing so far. So uh, it's definitely... Uh, I'm, I'm not sitting here looking at my watch with any of these, and that's kind of the most important thing. So don't waste my time, people. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. So this has been ep- this has been episode three for Media Live, unfettered Rogan conversations. Um, next week I'm going to try to get a guest as I can, but um, I just I kind of wanted to hear more from people who aren't in media for this one. I wanted to hear from people who are Rogan's audience and, and everything else. Um, because, like I said, you have Brian Stelter and Oliver Darcy just on TV. <laughs> who, who listens to these people? And uh, I think it's good to get as many of you guys talking and out there uh, as possible. Because they want to know who everyone is, and it's it's you guys. So uh, thanks for joining. As you know, I'm Stephen L. Miller. This is Versus Media Live. You can also find the podcast on Patreon if you're not there. Um, and obviously, you can find me at Red Steves on Twitter. So probably uh, next Monday, we'll do this again. And you guys are all welcome back. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Have a good-